Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That it. With the WWE Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back for the 397th time breaking down everything you need to know from the past week in wwe and providing you with an ultimate preview for the 2023 royal rumble wwe's first premium live event of the year as we kick off the road to wrestlemania 39 vintage chris vanini is here he will be along for the ride momentarily but it would not be an addition of getting over if i did not kick off the show by reminding you that this podcast is all about so please folks it's a new year it's a new road to wrestlemania do me a favor stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me go back to being marks for the silver king adam silverstein for vintage chris vanini head on over to apple Podcasts and spotify Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. Let everyone know how much you love the show, why you listen. Tell them why you subscribe. And if you leave a five-star written review, we will read it live right here on the podcast. And wouldn't you know, we got two new ones this week. So that's exactly what we're going to do right now. First, from Brett Maline. I hope I said that right. Five stars. That was literally the headline, and it's five stars. I look forward to each episode. The Silver King and Vintage are the real deal. I learn so much every show. Five stars. Thank you, Brett. Also, Atish911. It's all about the five. Also a five-star review. Been a fan since the ITC SOC days, and I've always enjoyed Silver King's candid and unbiased takes. Chris and Adam's pairing is unmatched in the wrestling pod world. Their segments are well laid out. Opinions are elaborate, yet stay true to topic. Always a fun listen. Keep up the great work, guys. And yes, it's all about the five. You're damn right. It's all about the five. I appreciate those reviews. Thank you very much to both of you for dropping them. One other reminder, though, as we kick off the show, it's not just about those five-star reviews. It's also about following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights. We had a big week in terms of uh, connecting with fans and, and some Tweets that went a little bit viral, really good stuff. If you don't already, please follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And this is really the right week to do it. And you might say, well, why, Silver King? Is this the right week to follow you on Twitter at Getting Overcast? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. It is a pay-per-view premium live event week, which means we do a little more than we normally do. Two things in particular. One, we will have a live show Saturday before the WWE Royal Rumble, a pre-show, I should say, uh, giving our final thoughts coming out of that SmackDown on the first premium live event of the year. It will air at some point, either before or during the WWE kickoff show. We will have more information on that on our Twitter account, at Getting Overcast, on Saturday, right before the show goes live. Also, we will have pre- and post-show polls that you will be able to vote in, and we will read your takes, your expectation grades, and your post-show final grades for the Royal Rumble on our Instant Analysis podcast coming out Saturday night right here on the Getting Over feed. So as I said, every reason to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Chris, we have a stacked show today, jam-packed. 
We have so much to discuss from SmackDown and Raw, particularly as it pertains to the Bloodline, Roman Reigns, and Sami Zayn. We also have the entire WWE Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview. And unfortunately, the Silver King was supposed to be doing this show from Orlando, Florida. I was going to go to the PGA show and be on site, do a lot of work, and kind of fit in these podcasts. But guess what? I'm not doing it from Orlando, Florida. I'm doing it from my home office. And the reason why is the Silver King is fighting COVID. Yes, I got sick on Saturday. If I, my voice sounds different, if it sounds nasally or congested, that is the reason why I'm trying to gut through this. Uh, the absolute worst time, maybe not the exact worst time, but one of the worst times of my calendar year that I could uh, get sick. And yet here we are gutting through the show. Uh, there was a lot that we had planned um, for this week that I, I was going to be doing personally and professionally, and all of that just thrown right into the garbage. But it does allow me to sit in my desk with my normal setup and tape this podcast. Chris, welcome to the show. I hope you're feeling a lot better than I am. Yes, I am feeling uh, well. Sorry to hear that you're uh, dealing with the COVID. I'm, I'm appreciate it. I'm dealing with a bunch of rain outside, but other than that, I'm good. I'm excited for the rumble. This is, this is look, we love WrestleMania, but no event I think has more excitement going in than the Royal rumble. It, it's the Absolutely. one where you're guaranteed a few surprises. It, 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 it honestly, well, maybe it's the most anticipated event of the year. I think historically, uh, last year was not the case. Last year was, you no, know, it the was, worst but, men's but Royal Rumble it, match. Right. Yeah, going into it, you think you're going to get some surprises. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So, so you never know what you're going to get. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. But that excitement, that unknown, that surprise is is the most exciting part of pro wrestling. And so we're going to get that. And we're coming off of obviously a big Raw 30 episode. So a lot to talk about. You're right. You know, I, I've maintained this every time I've talked about the Royal Rumble on a podcast through the three iterations that I've had of a show that I've been on, you know, look, I understand that SummerSlam is what WWE considers its second biggest premium live event of the year. That has never been the case to me. For me, it's WrestleMania number one, Royal Rumble number two, and SummerSlam number three, because the Royal Rumble is integral to what you get for WrestleMania. It's also the first show of the year. And I know it's, you know, close and in tight quarters with WrestleMania, but WrestleMania isn't as good if the Royal Rumble doesn't exist. And if Royal Rumble winners don't get those title matches and if storylines don't get set up going into the show. SummerSlam, they're trying to make it, you know, WrestleMania B, but it just never has been to me. Royal Rumble for me has always been the number two show. So you're right. I'm extremely excited to tape this podcast and I am always jacked up to talk about the Royal Rumble. But Chris, you mentioned Raw 30 and this is certainly not just a Royal Rumble ultimate preview. It is also a full breakdown of what went down Monday night as WWE celebrated its latest anniversary. And of course, they do anniversaries by year. They also do it by episode. So you get plenty of these special shows. But I will say Raw 30 came off extraordinarily well. It was the first Monday Night Raw without NFL or college football competition since August 29th. So we're talking basically five full months, I believe one week short of five full months. So it was a big show on its own as the basic go home to the Royal Rumble and the first one without NFL competition. And then on top of that, they did a anniversary episode. It was 14,000 people sold out in Philadelphia. WWE 
claimed 17,000. So maybe they're including suites and other stuff. Or they're just inflating the number. It doesn't matter. In terms of seats that were available, they sold out 14,000. They sold out the entire building. And Chris, you had some statistic about the gate being ridiculous as well. Yeah, right before we started recording, WWE announced the highest domestic gate in the 30-year history of Raw. So that's my impressive. And that total seat number probably includes that 17,000 is employees and wrestlers and all that stuff. Kind of yes. like football does it. But but yeah, that's a huge number. Biggest gate ever for Raw. And, and I think a lot of that, you know, is inflation, certainly. Ticket prices are higher than they ever have been before. But it's also selling out a 14,000 seat arena. And, and having some of those tickets on the floor that are, I think they still go for thousands of dollars, those front row tickets uh, for big shows. And it's just absolutely incredible. Look, uh, it was a fantastic show. Let's do a, a mini breakdown of Raw 30 without getting into the details. We'll save those for the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and our Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview coming at the end of the show. Uh, quick breakdown. Here, here's, here it goes. Uh, hour one of Raw. Could You have an argument that can be made, that it was the greatest hour of WWE wrestling television that's been done. I mean, I don't think that it's number one unquestionable by any means, but it's in the conversation for it. Uh, you had the Bloodline storyline basically take almost the entire hour. The execution of it was fantastic. We're going to get to that in a little bit. It was commercial free, so you got an entire 60 minutes of content. I believe the commercial freeness uh, or however you want to term that, actually went beyond the actual first hour. Uh, I thought it was just nails. Hour two, really solid. There were a couple hiccups. Hour three fell off a little bit, but it's raw. And hour three almost always falls off. It was a fantastic show. It's going to be, um, if we have an award category for the Meaties in 2023 at the end of the year for TV show or special of the year, it's going to be nominated for it. Uh, we had a segment of the year potentially. We had what you maybe could put in as worst match of the year, even though the bell never rang. Uh, it was just a newsmaking, entertaining, and exhilarating in many ways show. And I think it was well-placed, being it was that first Raw since football ended, and the go-home show for the most part, as it pertains to the Royal Rumble. I think it was a very good to great episode. The first hour was... 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. The rest of it was kind of hit and miss for me. And the last third of the show really was not, it was really everything moving forward. It kind of wasn't tied in as much to, to legend stuff. My, my biggest takeaway was they knew that this is the kind of episode you can get a lot of fans back into wrestling. Mm -hmm. I got back into wrestling at raw 1000. I didn't know who a chunk of the people were at the time. They introduced them. They caught me up in the stories. We got The Rock and CM Punk doing something. So it, it 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 mixed everything together pretty well. That's what this episode of Raw largely wanted to accomplish. Some stuff was built toward the Rumble. Some stuff was not at all. But more than anything, I think they really tried to catch people up on where things are with every storyline mm -hmm. that they addressed, whether that's promos, whether that's video packages, a lot of different things. So I think they accomplished that. So it's kind of a unique show in that sense. It also, I mean, we'll, we'll probably talk about it individually, but I just thought they did a very good job utilizing the legends mm -hmm. uh, compared to maybe previous times they've done it. I still wish there was a bit 
more of certain things, but it was it was a, a massive step up from what we've often seen in these Legends episodes. I think it's fair to say, Chris, it's the best Legends have ever been used on a special show. Yeah, could be. I mean, there have been a lot of bad ones. Look, we didn't get the Legends <laughs> come in and beat up all the current guys. We hate that. That doesn't do anything. We and they ru- and they gave rub to the current guys also. They, they did, gave rub they didn't to just the current- not they didn't just not yes. beat them up, but they gave them rub on top. Yes, of it. I I the only thing I think they could have done even more of that, especially in the second half of the show, which they didn't mm-hmm. as much. The backstage I stuff, I felt like there could have been a bit more. But considering what we typically get, this was absolutely the way you want to do it. You want to use the legends to get pops and also. Get people interested in your current wrestlers. Make them look good. Make them look interesting. They did that a good number of times. I honestly just felt like they could do it even more because they were doing it so well. There were only really two parts of Raw 30 that bothered me from a general sense. We'll get into the specific stuff in a little bit. The first, and at Sports Reality TV wrote in, he said, the only thing wrong with this episode of Raw is that they didn't let Michael Cole call the show. And I have to agree, like beyond the fact that Kevin Patrick is bad. And we've, and we've discussed it ad nauseum on this podcast already. Michael Cole is the voice of WWE. And this is the 30th anniversary of Monday Night Raw. If Jim Ross was still employed by WWE, I would say that he needed to call this show. But Michael Cole is your guy. And I understand everyone has their alignments. But how do you not make a broadcast team of Cole, Corey Graves, and perhaps even Jerry the King Lawler in the third seat, if you must, and have them be the commentary team for the show. I'm going to give Kevin Patrick credit. This was by far the best show that he's had. It was. He really worked hard to do a good job on commentary for this. But even his best is nowhere near Michael Cole's mid-range, okay? And Cole absolutely should have been on commentary for the show. Yep, I, I, I agree. I, I agree that Kevin Patrick did do better given this big situation. You actually tweeted a line that Jerry the King Lawler said, which yeah. was, he says, hey, Corey, do you think this Kevin guy is going to make it to Raw 31, which was kind of cold. <laughs> I, bit, I, but, uh, I was drinking water when he said that, and I like almost choked myself on it. It was amazing. Yeah, so that was a, oh, it was a bit much, but uh, no, I, I agree. It felt like, look, big moment. You've got all this. You've got a bunch of SmackDown wrestlers on the show you you know you basically just made this a super show you could have right. you could have put Cole in that spot too and the other down part of the entire show again from a general sense was the booking of the women on the show it, it was yes. extremely yep. poor spoiler alert we're going to get to it in specific later and and really the same goes for Smackdown on Friday I actually thought the women's booking across Raw and Smackdown was making strides over the prior few weeks it seemed like okay you know what it hasn't been great But moving into the Royal Rumble, they're doing some stuff that's really interesting. It took a massive backseat to the men this week. There was really a lack of women stuff all show. Now, the Bellas were supposed to appear. They changed their minds. They didn't like what was planned for them. Apparently, they think, I guess, they were just going to have something backstage and not a big segment in the ring. Whatever. The Bellas complain about everything. I've been sick of them for a long time. But to only have Alundra Blaze, Medusa there, and no one else, Trish Stratus, Mickey James, if Impact would give her, Lita, Tori, even Tori Wilson or Kelly Kelly, Molly Holly, who works there. It just didn't make any sense. 
And why I'm seeing Sonya Deville in the main event, or not main event, but the main women's segment on consecutive shows, I have no idea. And I like Sonya. Now, I don't doubt that everything's going to pick up at Royal Rumble on the road to WrestleMania. And I do think by the time we get to WrestleMania, we're going to wind up having probably four major women's matches on that show. But it, it, it just remains a huge frustration, Chris, that Triple H, who helped reinvigorate women's wrestling in NXT, not just with the horsewomen, let's not forget, but even beyond them with Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley, Nikki Cross, Asuka, like all these women he brought into the company, all the work they've done. I understand that the bloodline is taking a lot of oxygen out of the room, but there are major women stars in WWE and they are neither getting the time nor the quality storytelling that even the second or third level men's storyline is getting right now. Yep, completely agree. And look, the main women, the main ended up being the main women's segment we got was a SmackDown feud. It was know, wasn't even yeah. it, it wasn't even the people on Raw. So that was definitely an issue. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, in general, women's legends aren't treated as much as they should be. They've gotten better at it. You know, they brought Lita back. Trish does some things. The, the, the Rumble is a good time to bring women's legends back. But and, and maybe we'll get them on Saturday. But yeah, for Raw 30, you would have liked to celebrate things that they've done a lot more. And that was a letdown. Well, I do wonder, Chris, and, you know, maybe some people aren't considering this. Maybe WWE felt, hey, if we bring some of these women that I mentioned back at Raw 30, then their surprises in the Royal Rumble aren't going to be as surprising. So we might as well save it for then. But that goes counter to everything that I've talked about with like Cody Rhodes, right? Like pre-announcing he's going to be in the Royal Rumble. Someone else who showed up on Raw. We're going to talk about that later in the show. These are surprises that could have been saved for the Royal Rumble for the men that are just being given away for free or in lackadaisical, less interesting ways on TV. So you're going to save it for the women, but you're not going to save it for the men. It's impossible to know until we get past the Royal Rumble. Look, Triple H has earned a lot of goodwill in general for his booking on the WWE main roster, but also his women's booking in NXT. Despite that, the guys had the book long enough on the main roster where the women's booking should be and needs to be better. If we see that massive improvement starting Saturday at the Royal Rumble with the road to WrestleMania, then okay. Then, you know, it's it's fair. My point is it's fair to give him that time. But if it doesn't improve very quickly, then it's going to be a major issue that we're going to have to talk about more frequently on the show. That's basically yeah. uh, no, what I want to We've mentioned say. it a good number. Yeah, we've mentioned it a good number of times. So maybe the Rumble's a reset moment. We will see. Right. And if it is, fantastic. Chris, we have an absolute massive show still ahead. We have the main event where we're going to break down everything that happened with the bloodline across SmackDown and Raw, the good, the bad, and the ugly, where we're going to go over pretty much everything else from Raw 30, and then the WWE Royal Rumble ultimate preview at the end of the show, where we are going to preview every match on the card. We'll talk even more about the bloodline, and we'll discuss some of the major storylines as they unfolded for those specific matches, not just the Royal Rumble matches themselves, but the other matches on that premium live event card. You are not going to want to miss a second of today's show. And do not forget, you can hit the episode description for timestamps. So if you're listening to us for some reason 
Saturday morning, right before the Royal Rumble, and you just want to hear the ultimate preview, you can skip there if you check the episode description for the timestamp, but you better damn be listening to every second of today's show, Chris, which we are going to begin right now by sliding into the main event. All right, it is an all-bloodline main event, and we are going to get started with SmackDown, which opened with the Usos and Sami Zayn coming out of one SUV, while Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, and Solo Sokoa exited another. The Usos dapped up Sami. Roman refused to fist bump him. That immediately concerned him. It made Sami check that Roman's okay. Reigns wanted to hear the truth out of his mouth. Zayn was disappointed not knowing the plan in the KO match last week. He even mentioned how Owens says he's being used which completely changed Roman's expression. Reigns started gaslighting him. He demanded Sammy leave because his game plans don't require Zayn's approval. He told Zayn to find Owens, make his own bloodline, and stop using him and his family, and Sammy was completely devastated. Reigns later expressed his frustration to Heyman, so we saw in that moment that it wasn't really an act. Heyman said he never liked Zayn, but as the wise man, he wanted Reigns to consider that having Sammy on his side was better than the alternative, especially given he's fighting KO. Sammy was later called back into the locker room. Roman admitted he has a temper. He understood all Sammy wanted was communication. He even said they're a lot alike, caring about every minute detail. Roman took the blame a second time for his outburst, saying he expects the same love, respect, and loyalty that he gives out. Sammy assured him they are nothing without him and promised to always put the bloodline first. Rain said he wanted Zane to find the Usos and get ready to leave because he, Heyman, and Sokoa would go to the ring sign the contract, and get the hell out of Detroit. Sammy was excited. He offered a fist bump. Reigns said he owed him one and bumped him. Heyman then thanked Reigns for taking his counsel. It was really kind of shocking to see Reigns gaslight Zayn that strongly in the moment. What I loved most is that Roman referred to Sammy's expressions from last week, meaning he watched SmackDown and analyzed what happened as opposed to being ignorant since he wasn't on site like we are so often led to believe in wrestling. Think about how many times we've been forced to think a wrestler was unaware of what happened on TV, either because they weren't at the show or weren't in the room at the time something happened. Reigns then taking Heyman's counsel and bringing Zayn back into the fold so quickly was clearly the right decision in kayfabe. It was also the second time that Roman has shown contrition to Sammy. The first time was genuine. This time clearly was not. What was strange though, was putting a barrier between Roman and Sammy over something that seems so minor compared to stuff that's happened previously. I get it. Like Reigns has a hairline trigger and any perceived slight at any time can set this guy off. But he's asked for honesty and blind loyalty before. And when Zayn gave it, Reigns accepted it. He didn't do that here, which is inconsistent. But that's what gaslighting is. It was all set up and executed really well. It was just a little bit surprising to me that it transpired the way it did. I also appreciate when we actually do get the counsel from Heyman. You know, like Heyman is a, a background character a lot of the time in the Bloodline storyline, but this was a, this was an example of him providing counsel for Roman Reigns and doing kind of what he is supposed to do. So, yeah, not the not the the best Bloodline segment. The, a couple things off of SmackDown and Raw we'll get into were. It's maybe a little bit flimsier than it has been in the past, but look, you're not going to, it's not going to be a perfect 10 out of 10 every week. Um, still an interesting bit and in playing off of what happened the previous week with, with Sammy's match getting interfered with it. It was, it was, it was a step forward. 
I liked that it wasn't Sammy who brought up his issues with the match, though. I like that Roman mm-hmm. saw, you know, via his facial and body expressions, body mannerisms, um, that Zane had an issue with it because he watched SmackDown and saw what happened, basically. Yes, yes, I agree. That that was yeah. Roman did a very good job expressing himself in this in this way. Right. So then we had the contract signing in the main event of SmackDown. Reigns made his extended entrance. He immediately threw up his feet on the table, making a mockery of the entire ceremony. Everyone was waiting for Owen's music to hit. When suddenly, KO appeared behind the ropes. He took out Solo. He hit Roman with a stunner. He beat the hell out of the Usos when they ran down. And then he caught Reigns with a pop-up powerbomb through the table. Then he signed the contract. Sammy ran down and hesitated. That gave KO time to throw the contract at him, which he caught. And then KO ran into the crowd to end the show. I definitely should have known, given the limited time that was remaining, that something different would happen. It wouldn't just be a normal contract signing. This completely tracked, though, with Owens being a legitimately smart and thoughtful babyface who remains a thorn in the bloodline side. Reigns earlier talked about being a strategical genius, yet he's the one who let himself be exposed here by not having Sammy and the Usos there. All he had was Solo Sokoa, and that made him an easy target. That was Roman's fault and no one else's fault. And obviously, he's never going to blame himself, which is exactly why we got the trial of Sami Zayn on Monday night. I like this. We we didn't need a big promo between the two of them. Just Kevin Owens comes in, hits a stunner, and and gets out of there. Like, it just, it worked. It was different. Uh, I actually didn't even notice the time on the clock until I looked down after this all happened. I was like, oh, that makes sense that that something quick happened. You know, we we didn't... um, yeah, we just we we've had Kevin Owens give his speeches to Sami Zayn, give his speeches to Roman Reigns. He did again on on, on Monday. We didn't need we didn't need another one here. Just have Kevin Owens boom hit the stunner and get out sign the contract. Tossing it to Sami Zayn and catching it was, uh, I think more difficult to execute than it seemed. <laughs> you know, throwing. Well, a don't forward, re- remember when Brock threw the microphone off the, the microphone, top of the yep. tractor and Reigns just yep. caught it nonchalantly in one hand. Yes. Like this wasn't as tough as that, but it was pretty close. Yes. It's a thin, yeah, you know, not, not as quite as that, but, but that's a it's a pretty far distance, and you you got to get yeah. air under it. Like that was a good throw. So it's good for yeah, this. Throw, yeah. This worked. Yeah, I, I I liked it. It was an opportunity for Kevin Owens to get the upper hand on something real quick. Short and short and sweet. Now that was SmackDown, and if you thought that was good, well, let's go talk about Raw Thirty because the Bloodline basically opened Raw with everyone wearing the ceremonial red flower lays and the Island of Relevancy shirts, except Sammy, who was back in his honorary Oose shirt. I thought that was a really nice touch. The mm-hmm. tribal court for the trial of Sammy Zayn, it was basically just a nice table in the ring. Roman obviously sat at the head of the table with the Usos on one side, Zayn on the other by himself, and Sokoa as an enforcer behind Reigns. And Paul Heyman was between Roman and the Usos as basically the prosecutor of the entire thing. Fans chanted Sammy, Usi, and then ECW for Heyman, who recognized the chant and said, ECW is dead, just like Sammy, who he claimed was conspiring with Owens to take them down like Brock Purdy. And the 49ers were going to take down the Eagles. Major heat. Paul Heyman saying that in Philadelphia. Heyman, as that prosecutor in that role, I should say, He showed evidence, including Zayn running away from McIntyre when he attacked the Usos in August 2022, refusing to use a chair against KO that same month, celebrating atop War Games 
instead of with the bloodline after the match while flashing four life on top of the war game cell instead of the bloodline ones and then bumping Roman during a promo in December, which Paul claimed was assault and an assassination attempt. Surprisingly, nothing from the last couple of weeks was included in the evidence, which I thought was the entire point of the trial, especially given Mm -hmm. what happened Friday night. So I thought that was strange because that was really the reason why a trial would happen, not things that happened in August and December. It's okay if you want that as supporting evidence, but the real evidence should have been what happened most recently. Anyway, Sammy got his time to make a defense. He said he had had an entire thing lined up and ready, but instead he felt so betrayed by Heyman, given everything he's done for the bloodline over the last nine months, he has no defense. Roman then screamed at Sammy for having such a huge ego that he wouldn't even fight for his spot in the bloodline, explain himself, show that it means something to him or that he cares. Then he screamed, solo and slammed down his microphone. So Sokoa walked behind Zane. He grabbed him by the shirt, lifted up the Samoan spike, and all of a sudden got physically stopped by Jey Uso in the same way that Sammy stopped the referee from counting the one, two, three in war games when KO was on top of Reigns. Jay said, no disrespect, tribal chief. I'm going to give Sammy's defense. Jay showed footage from June of Zayn playing the bloodline entrance from the truck to help the Usos retain the tag team titles, from August of him pushing Roman out of the way and eating a Claymore, from September of him saving Sokoa from a McIntyre chair shot, from December of him saving another title retention, and obviously everything that actually happened in war games. Jay said that Sammy has taken so many bullets for the entire bloodline that he's basically bulletproof. He reminded that he used to despise Zayn, but he never gave up on him, which is what family does. He said Sammy is loyal and that he now loves him like a brother. Then he got the entire crowd to throw up the ones to support Sammy. And then Jimmy stood up and threw up the one as well. Solo and Paul did not. And then fans chanted Sammy Uso. Reigns judged Zayn as not guilty for now. He told Sammy to thank Jay for buying him more time before decreeing that Zayn needed to make the bloodline proud and then disappear after Monday night until the Royal Rumble, where he will deliver his final test to determine whether Sammy really is bloodline. Jay put his lay on Sammy. The Usos hugged him and everyone else left because they were getting ready for the tag team title match that was in the next segment. Chris, exceptional does not begin to describe this, okay? And what's truly incredible about this chapter of the storyline is it was not the initial plan for either SmackDown or Raw. All of it reportedly changed because apparently Rikishi is sick and neither Afa nor Sika was well enough to travel. So this is booking on short notice at a minimum. Heyman turning his back on Zayn, you could tell that pained Sammy immensely. It looked like he had gotten stabbed in the back. And Paul was fully goaded in this segment. He is just the best to ever do it. Solo, standing behind Roman, he looked like a straight up bulldog and a mercenary. The only person who didn't really have a standout moment here was Jimmy, but that's basically been the case this entire storyline. You had Sammy being defiant and feeling betrayed. It was the first time he really stood up for himself. To Roman, Jay coming to Sammy's defense was exceptional storytelling going back to, of course, their entire 
internal feud within the bloodline. I popped as hard for him grabbing Solo's arm as I did when they tore off Sammy's shirt or when Sammy came through at War Games. It was legitimately an emotional moment, not just for the audience, but for the Usos and for Sammy who teared up on camera. It's cinema, it's drama, it has elements of comedy. This is now to the point where I just think it has to be considered the greatest long-term storyline in professional wrestling history. The only thing that's left is they have to land the plane. And that's part of the problem. There's something in me that just wants it to keep flying forever. I kind of don't want the ride to end. It's actually too good for its own good. It feels like I should be paying extra to watch this storyline separate from Raw and SmackDown. And that makes it so difficult to land the plane because there's not a totally obvious runway. And we're going to talk all about that in our ultimate preview. Let me get you in to discuss the segment itself before we talk about the tag team title match and then later talk about the landing gear. Chris, this was just, I mean, pick an adjective, man. Outstanding, excellent, superb, whatever you choose. Look at the adjective, play. They're not here to play. Okay, so remember what I said 10 minutes ago when Raw 30 was about catching people up on storylines that they've maybe not been paying attention to for a while? Mm -hmm. That's exactly what this was. (laughs) They showed you everything that happened over the last six months in the Bloodline storyline to get you caught up in the biggest thing going on in in WWE right now. Makes complete sense. That was a smart way to handle that. I loved everything in the segment. You've already explained it all beautifully. It just the image there of Jay saving Sammy was such an incredible. It really was a payoff to everything we've gotten throughout this whole time. It, it just that was a moment. Like Sammy Zayn hugging Jay after War Games was a moment. Jay saving Sammy and keeping him in the blood on here was a moment. That was. That, that that visual was incredible. Shout out to him and Solo for executing that incredibly well. Also, Sammy, too, by the way, like tears in his eyes over some of the stuff. Just like, again, the acting in the storyline has just been remarkable. The only thing I will say is that the trial aspect of it was a little bit corny to me. Of course it was. It was camp. Of course. It was. But the it's thing wrestling. about... In the, Come on. But but that's the thing. The thing about the Bloodline storyline is that it basically hasn't done mm. the campy wrestling stuff very much. It, it, it This felt like a wrestling segment and not a real-life discussion between a group of people, which is what basically everything in the Bloodline storyline has been. It just, it was a little... I didn't connect as much when you've got Paul Heyman, like, putting up the, the clips and you've got you know, like law and order type uh, headings on there. And then Jey Uso mm. just happened to make his own, you know, videotape. It like it look, it accomplished. It's professional what it wrestling, to. dude. I, I know. Mean. I know. I just I just to me, that was this was like a nine out of 10 instead of a 10 out of 10 specifically because of that. It's just it, and look, we didn't mention this, but it wasn't even supposed to. This wasn't supposed to happen. Remember that right. it was supposed to be the bloodline acknowledgement with uh, every member or somebody from every generation of the bloodline there to acknowledge Roman Reigns. 
And so, like, this wasn't going to be the... A week ago, they didn't say a trial's coming up. I don't even know exactly when, if it might have been on social media where I saw it, they announced it. I think it was over the weekend, I believe. Yeah, so it was kind of a last-minute type of change, so maybe that, you know, it it was kind of a quick turnaround as well. But um, loved loved it. I just thought the trial aspect was kind of campy. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, argue that entire point with you, but wrestling is camp, and for it to be (laughs) a little campy, it's a trial. I that didn't even honestly cross my mind. Like, sure, I, I acknowledged that it wasn't like the most serious deal, but you know, uh, Jay isn't feeling oozy isn't the most serious thing either. And them eating popcorn a couple of weeks ago and Roman giving Sammy the side eye and then getting his own bag of popcorn that's campy too. Like, you know, it's it's wrestling. That's what it is. So I, I don't have any, any didn't have any problem with any of that. Uh, one other note though, before we move on to the Raw tag team title match, which is the next thing we're going to talk about. In this segment, when Heyman shouted out Brock Purdy and then he dissed Eagles fans, first of all, Heyman did the Brock Purdy thing for a Fox pregame this weekend for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. But beyond that, Reigns and the Usos are legitimate San Francisco 49ers fans. They grew up in the Bay Area before they Mm. moved to Pensacola, Florida. So when they put up the ones for San Francisco, that was actually real. (laughs) <laughs> so it just happened to work out that they were in Philadelphia and they're actually 49ers fans and they worked that into the segment. So for any sports fans out there, I thought that was a really interesting note that, of course, you should know. All right, let's get to the other part of this that happened on Raw. It was the Raw Tag Team Championship match singled out just those titles. The Usos defending against Judgment Day. Finn Balor got caught tripping Jay during an Uso splash attempt, so he got ejected. Damian Priest got knees up on the delayed splash for a near fall. Jay then hit a super kick with Jimmy, adding the splash for a false finish. Jimmy hit a tope. He immediately sold a knee injury, though, with the referee throwing up the X and Jimmy being ruled unable to continue. Adam Pierce came out and decided that if Jimmy can't wrestle, they have to forfeit the match and forfeit the Raw Tag Team Championships. So Sammy stepped up with Jay co-signing as Roman watched backstage. Pierce agreed, and he agreed because... He let Judgment Day replace a partner two weeks ago. Zayn hit a huge tope con hero on both challengers. Then we got multiple false finishes in succession. Dominic Mysterio first on a jackknife cover, cheating with his legs on the middle rope. Rhea Ripley distracting on a haluva kick attempt with Priest hitting south of heaven for a 2.99 kickout when Dom covered Sammy. Jay then broke up a 619 attempt only to eat one himself plus a frog splash with Sammy breaking the fall the same way Jimmy normally does. All of those spots made it look like the titles were legitimately about to change hands. Sammy then dodged Priest into the post and blind tagged with Jay hitting a super kick before combining with Jay for the 1D to retain the titles. Reigns nodded backstage saying, hey, Zayn made it through the night, but he reiterated he didn't want to see him until Saturday. Sammy celebrated with the titles only to hand them to Jay since he wasn't actually the champion. And this, to me, Chris, just continued the tremendous segment that preceded it. You had Sammy literally becoming an Uso to successfully defend the undisputed titles or the Raw titles in this case. The four false finishes, which given the Raw title was singled out here and the Bloodline segment that came Mm -hmm. earlier, all those false finishes carried extra weight because it seemed like a change was inevitable and would further lead to the friction and perhaps breakup of Sammy from the Bloodline. Instead... You get Sammy making the key save, hitting the 1D like an Uso, and helping retain the titles. Yet even that didn't change Roman's expression 
one iota backstage. The match was excellent. The booking was excellent. The way WWE set a precedent of replacement or forfeit with Dom replacing Finn two weeks ago, that was excellent. And the way it directly played into the story of the night and the long-term story was excellent. Top-tier booking in this match. Okay, that Jimmy injured... Wait, it was Jimmy who got hurt, right? Mm-hmm. That... I mean, did did it get you? Did they? Did they? I got worked. Man, no, I knew it in was the fake. moment. No, I knew it immediately. I, yeah. I I I picked up on it, but when when he couldn't throw him in the ring and just fell down, then I was like, oh shit! I think he might actually be hurt. And when he, and he slams the, the 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 padding on the ground, mm-hmm. oh man, that might be that might actually be something. But then when Sammy comes over and starts talking to him, then I was like. Okay, maybe it's not. Maybe I maybe they're gonna work the angle here. But they got me. They got me for a few seconds there. And I loved it. I love that they got me. Yeah. I, I mean, throwing up the axe on camera and stuff like that, it kind of started to give it away. But in the moment, I legit thought he was hurt. And so uh kudos to, to the execution on that. Then it plays out. And like you said, because the the Sammy drama, you think there was a chance they could lose. Because of the raw wit titles, they could lose mm-hmm. as you laid out. I th- these false finishes got me a hundred percent. Every single one I thought four was going to end the match. They yeah. were they were so good. This was professional wrestling at its best. That is the value of false finish. That is what storytelling leads to a false finish rather than just doing a bunch of moves uh, right to, to to increase the increase the drama and the anticipation. Tremendous match, awesome finish. Everybody in there killed it. Judgment Day looked great. Sammy gets the win. Just awesome, awesome. Like, like whatever we can say about the the, the trial and, and liking it and whatnot, this was the best segment of the show of the weekend. This was just unbelievable. I would say it was the most perfectly booked. Like, like the thought that went into it and the execution of it could not have been better. Now, we're still going to get into the booking aspect of this entire thing going forward in the main event. And again, I said we're going to talk about it more in the Ultimate Preview later. Uh, But there was one more thing that happened, of course, on Raw. And that's The Miz was cutting a promo in the final half hour of the show. He was bitching about not being honored for any of his accomplishments. When Owens stormed out of the crowd, stunned his ass to a huge pop and called out Reigns, he said, Roman has held the titles hostage and he promises he will fight until he has nothing left to take the straps from him. Then Miz stood up and KO delivered a bonus stunner, pure Stone Cold style, to end the segment. This just felt kind of like rushed, and it was a way to get KO on the show and promote the title match without really needing him there. I would have much preferred him finding Zayn backstage and trying to talk to him, only to ultimately get ignored. But whatever, it's not really worth complaining about. We've gotten so much storyline to this point. It just wasn't the best thing on the show. Yeah, no, I I agree. I don't have much more to say other than that. All right, well, you know, Chris... We've been talking about WrestleMania plans since SummerSlam. And no matter whether The Rock was going to be included, ultimately you and I agreed Cody Rhodes would be the one to take the titles from Reigns with Sammy and KO winning the tag team titles from the Usos. It was crystal clear, easy to predict, and set to result in two massive WrestleMania moments, which obviously WWE care so much about. Well, this segment, the trial of Sami Zayn, along with what happened in the Raw tag team title match and on SmackDown that preceded it, 
I got to say, man, it shook up everything in terms of my expectations. Consider what happened here, okay? Heyman turned on Zayn basically on behalf of Reigns. Sammy was defiant in the face of Roman after feeling betrayed. Reigns first put out the hit, then despite all the evidence, refused to fully relent. And then the Usos, the first guys gaslit by Roman, Jay, the person most gaslit by Roman over the last two to three years. And by the way, the Usos are the team that Sammy and KO would have to defeat for the tag team titles. They are the ones who have Sammy's back in the bloodline. It just feels to me like it has to be Sammy and Roman now because the conflict within the bloodline has shifted. It used to be Sammy and Jay, which is perfect to set up a tag team feud. But the conflict now is clearly Sammy and Roman. They have specifically booked this to put them at odds with one another. If it's not Sammy and Roman now, if that's not the plan for WrestleMania, then there's two major issues. First, Cody will naturally feel like a less exciting option. And second, the booking will have to be perfect to break up what seems to be a really strong relationship between Sammy and the Usos. Now, it is possible to do that, and I have the booking for it. We'll talk about that later. It just no longer feels like the best case scenario for WrestleMania. Sammy and the Bloodline is going to be nearly a year-long storyline by the time WrestleMania hits. Zayn would get one of the biggest pops in WrestleMania history if he dethrones Reigns. I don't see how you can forego that for Cody, who will only be back for two months from the end of the Rumble to the kickoff of WrestleMania. If there wasn't another option, Rhodes versus Reigns or Reigns versus Rollins would be completely fine. But there is another option, and it's the option that opened the 30th anniversary of Raw and has been the company's top storyline for most of the last year. It's getting baller ratings. It's critically acclaimed. It's insanely entertaining, and it has the fans rallying around one guy. It just feels now like if it's not Sammy, it's going to be a disappointment. And yeah, I know there's inherent issues with it being Zayn, such as him being the one to dethrone Reigns after so many other seemingly stronger wrestlers have failed. But I just think it has to be him now. What about you? What happened on SmackDown and Raw it's not changing my predictions on what'll happen, but it continues to open so many doors as to what could happen. There are so many ways this could go. And we talk about they need to land the plane to kind of mm-hmm. finish off this story. There are many ways they could land it and it works. There are many ways they could land it and it doesn't work. And you're right. We've gotten all this stuff about Cody, but everything about Cody is just about the title. It's not about Roman. And so exactly. is is Cody coming back, maybe winning the Rumble, getting into like, how is that? Is that going to throw into wrench into things or is Cody going to fit in seamlessly? I don't know. You know, uh, the, the Sammy thing. Let is me pause. Let me pause you really quick. Yeah. Let, me, let me pause you really quick. Think about how long the storyline is with Sammy Zayn. Forget the people involved. OK, how do you push off a 12 month storyline, which it will be by the time WrestleMania comes? for a two-month storyline. I I don't think that 
for a WrestleMania this big that you can do that. The problem is also, Chris, this isn't like a WrestleMania in New Orleans or Houston or Miami. This is Los Angeles. And Cody Rhodes is Cody Mm -hmm. Rhodes. There is Mm -hmm. so much like working for Sammy and there's so much working against Sammy in this moment. There's so much working for Cody and there's so much working against Cody. It's to the point where I don't want to say they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't, you know, in one direction or the other. But it just doesn't feel to me like you take a guy, you bring him back. He was only in WWE for a couple of months. Let's not forget in his return. You bring him back. And in two months, he goes from Royal Rumble winner to the guy who dethrones Roman Reigns with no prior story with Reigns, as opposed to Sami Zayn, who's been involved in this for a year. The problem is, so like, it's natural to compare this to Daniel Bryan, because mm-hmm. Daniel Bryan was a guy the fans rallied around. He's, he's a B-plus player, doesn't look like a champion. You don't make him the champion. The problem is, Daniel Bryan's story was fighting for the championship, trying to get respected as a wrestler. Sammy is Sammy's storyline. The ultimate what he's trying to get out of all of this is friendship and people having his back and people supporting him. It, I don't. It, it doesn't feel like to me that the ultimate goal for Sammy Zayn is to win the championship and dethrone Reigns. It's to get out of this toxic relationship and be with friends who want to be with him. And that's why, to me, I think the Kevin Owens thing still kind of fits. It just. Sammy winning the championship doesn't feel like the natural progression of the story, although Sammy getting up on Roman in some kind of way does. And so that's why we'll get into later kind of how we book the Rumble and stuff like that. But it's it's different than maybe Kofi Mania or or, or Daniel Bryan, because it's not like, oh, this guy's not getting a fair shot. That's not really what the story is. And that's why it's such a good story. And the difference between them also is I think everyone, you know, loves Sammy Zayn and and he had a lot of momentum coming into WWE off the independence as El Generico and certainly in NXT, the character he built as a pure white meat baby face in Sami Zayn, obviously working against um, Kevin Owens in, in NXT, coming to the main roster. Like there was a lot of really positive momentum for Sami, but I think most people would agree. And I do not say this in an insulting manner. Unlike Daniel Bryan, Sami Zayn kind of is a B-plus player. He is not the type of person, the type of character, the type of wrestler who you would say needs to be WWE champion or undisputed WWE universal champion. Whereas with Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston, largely due to his longevity and the amount of effort that he's put in and the fact of how many other people got opportunities that he never did, both of them really are A-level players where you could say, man, it's disrespectful that WWE never gave them these opportunities. With Sami Zayn, you want him heavily featured and on your TV all the time, long mid-card title reigns, long tag team title reigns, but you didn't ever say he has to be WWE champion at some point. So because mm-hmm. of that, he does not fill that same bucket for me as Daniel Bryan and perhaps Kofi Kingston as well. And his story to WrestleMania is drastically different than both of those guys, both in kayfabe and in reality. But nonetheless, here we sit and you look at the storyline and you look at, okay, The Rock's not going to be there reportedly. And Cody Rhodes got injured, even if that he was the plan and they were going to build this whole thing over the course of a year. 
Obviously, he debuted or returned to WWE at WrestleMania 38, so it would have been an entire year. He goes on this long journey. He wins the WWE Universal Championship. It's a huge deal. That would have worked, but that's not what happened. Cody Rhodes' storyline, as you said earlier, it's about the title. It's not about Roman Reigns. Sami Zayn's storyline is about Roman Reigns, and it's about the bloodline. And for all of those reasons, man, like they still got WrestleMania 40 next year. I would do Sami Zayn this year, Cody Rhodes next year. And you're fine. Cody's not going anywhere. He's under contract. He's going to win the title during this run. It does not have to be forced at WrestleMania 39. I, I get it. It makes sense. You know, like, I, it, again, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. It's not like if Sammy does, it's not like if Sammy wins, I'm going to be upset or something like that. Um, Cody is very good at this, and I trust his ability to get into the story quickly and um, kind of play that out. And, and mm-hmm. look, maybe Sammy's involved in some ways while well, I just. There, there's so many ways it could go, and I just, it's, it's what makes it really interesting, and it makes us it's what's going to make the Rumble finish it's, it really exciting. Uh, how that's going to go, and then how that plays into Mania. You got Elimination Chamber in Montreal. Like, there's a lot that can still happen with this story, and we are going to discuss as much of that as we possibly can later on today's show during our 2023 WWE Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview. That is the third segment of today's show. We're going to end the main event now. Again, ultimate preview still to come. At this point, it is time to move into our second segment, the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, let's kick things off. That ended way more quickly than I thought. Let's kick things off with the United States Championship, the main event of Raw, Austin Theory defending against Bobby Lashley in a no disqualification match. Lashley said he wanted the stipulation added because he didn't want to give Theory any way out nor restrict what he could do to the champion. He also said he'd never have lost the title if it wasn't for Brock Lesnar. MVP came out to boost Lashley's confidence and make celebration plans with Lashley demanding he and Omas stay backstage because he doesn't want or need his help. And obviously, as I noted, this was the main event of the show. Theory used a chair, Lashley grabbed the table. Theory barely escaped a hurt lock, only for Lashley to throw him shoulder first into a chair that was between the turnbuckles. Theory blinded Lashley with a fire extinguisher and threw him into the steel steps. Theory escaped hurt lock with a donkey kick low blow. So Lashley lifted him to an almighty spinebuster through the table, and it was looking like he's about to win the title. Seconds later, Lesnar's music hits as expected. He hit Lashley with an F5 and then F5 Theory onto Lashley perfectly for the one, two, three and title retention for Theory. And then Raw immediately cut off because in 2023, USA Network could not give us 30 or 60 seconds of an overrun because heaven forbid we miss even a moment of that stupid fucking Barmageddon show. They've been on the network for 25 years, WWE on USA, and they couldn't even give them a slight overrun. Total joke. Anyway, I digress. It was tough to care about this match because of the stipulation. And then the Lesnar mentioned earlier in the show, those made the finish so blatantly obvious that none of the wrestling actually mattered. Plus, how many times have we seen Theory and Lashley at this point? 
Beyond that, it was another wasted Rumble return opportunity. I'm not going to be angry that they didn't book it the way I wanted with Lashley dominating in the Rumble, Lesnar entering and then eliminating each other to set up the WrestleMania rubber match. But I do think that that booking would have been far better than what we got here. I'm going to give this a good because the action was strong. Lesnar's return was hot and the F5 finish into the pinfall was executed perfectly. But it just felt completely unnecessary to do it this way, given the rest of the show and the rumble coming up. Yeah, I, I, I give it a good, but you're right that it was kind of just missed a little bit of juice. We've seen these guys go back and forth a lot. You knew straight up theory isn't going to beat Lashley. I don't even think it's happened yet. Um, the But Lesnar got a big pop, you know, good, good finish on that. Again, with theory being the champ, I just would like him to get like quality wins. Right. And, and not have to just kind of like keep escaping like his entire run as money in the bank or champion or whatever. It's him just somehow escaping all these matches, especially now because he's not like a he's not as much of a cocky, doesn't take things seriously character. He takes things seriously. So I just would like him to get some actual wins. But this will finally split up Lashley and Theory, hopefully get Theory in a new direction away from Seth, away from Lashley to really do his own thing. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Raw cuts off. And look, we end up getting Nikki Bella on the show anyway, because she's on that Farmageddon <laughs> show. So, um, it's what did you think about? I've watched what did you think about the Lesnar return fun. decision in that moment? Made sense. I think you can still do it at the Rumble. Um, exactly what you said. But it would it does kind of lack that juice when it's not the Rumble return. As it's just to, they, they've announced yeah. 15 people for the Rumble. And granted, that's far fewer than last year for them. Yeah. Then. That is but, a lot fewer. But, you know, Cody and Lesnar, both of those guys returning in the match, those are two big surprises. Even if they're expected, they're still surprises. Mm. And they're just giving them away. Like, they I mean, better like Lesnar, have some I mean, stuff. Brock was, Brock was on the show, what, a month ago? A couple weeks ago? Like, he's been, yeah, he's been in and out. So it, it like it wasn't it wasn't like an amazing one. But I no, again, but Chris, but Chris, I, I, you I, know, when Lesnar's music hits and you don't expect it to hit. It gets that response. Absolutely. 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 I just, like I said, I probably just wouldn't have done this match in the first place and set it up to do it in the rumble. Like you said. Yeah. But right. given, given the situation, if you're going to do this match, it was a natural way to end it. I agree. Yeah. And that's why we gave it a good, even though it just, it wasn't the most ideal thing for them to book. That's really what I was saying. All right. Yeah. In hour two, D generation X came out with Kurt Angle, strangely walking behind them as like the fifth member Road Dog did his legendary introduction, but when he got to Billy Gunn, the crowd screamed it. He stopped halfway and noticed Angle. And by the way, I love that this is now two times that they've done this, where like they're mentioning Billy Gunn kind of without <laughs> actually mm -hmm. mentioning Billy Gunn because of AEW. Uh, mm -hmm. And just a really nice way to do it. Anyway, he stopped. He noticed Angle, who said he always wanted to be in DX. So that's why he came out with them. So Triple H decided to put him to the test by having him help finish the intro. Just as Triple H was wrapping up, Imperium entered. They said DX was disrespecting the sport with Gunther telling them to leave the ring or step up. So Triple H got in Gunther's face. Then he laughed, you know, saying, hey, I'm retired. I can't do this. Shawn Michaels said he's too old. X-Pac said he has shin splints. Dog, who is looking mighty heavy, by the way, said obviously he wasn't going to fight. So DX conferred and decided Angle would fight on their behalf. Kurt quickly shook his head no, with Triple H hoping someone would answer the call. Out came Seth Rollins and DX sang his song. 
Then Xbox said, hey, he's going to need a team to join him. The Street Profits obviously stepped up into that spot. Everyone then looked at Triple H to make the match. But he said, hey, this booking thing, it ain't easy. Got a huge pop. I should add that to the soundboard now that I think about <laughs> yeah, it. You that's going to yeah, come in the future. Idea. Yeah, we'll get that on. Don't worry. Uh, so Teddy Long came out to another huge pop and booked the six-man match in classic fashion. Then Angle revealed he had a referee muscle shirt on the entire time. So he became the special guest referee. So we had Rollins and the Prophets against Imperium. Jerry Lawler joined for commentary. You mentioned the line uh, that he said on Kevin Patrick. He said, Corey, I got a question for you. Does this Kevin guy make it to Raw 31? Ouch. Uh, King also struggled to say Gunther, which was somewhat comical. Gunther and Angle got into a shoving match. The faces hit a trio of topes. Gunther powerbombed the hell out of Rollins, who came back with an angle slam for Kurt. Rollins then caught Ludwig Kaiser with a superplex into an assisted flying blockbuster. Rollins hit Gunther with the pedigree. Then Montez Ford hit the frog splash with Rollins stomping Giovanni Vinci for the win. The segment was hysterical with all the tongue-in-cheek mentions and the sly references to the past. It was very meta. Triple H, I don't know if you noticed this, he even had a veiled shot at Vince McMahon. He said, quote, it's not like you make decisions on the fly and everyone does what you want, <laughs> which is very much Vince. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but that's interesting. Yeah, uh, but more importantly, this was the proper way to use legends rather than just mm -hmm. putting them over current stars. They were scared of Imperium, DX was. Consider how this went compared to the last time DX was in this spot against the Revival in Madison Square Garden. I'm sure Dax wow, 25. Harwood. Yeah, at 25. I'm sure Dax Harwood was beaming watching Raw, not seeing the young guys get their asses beat down. As much as I love DX and Angle, I gotta say, Teddy Long kind of popped me the most. It was such a great move. And I, I tweeted this. If you weren't on your couch doing his dance when he came out, then you're not real. You're fake. As simple as that. I My only issue with it, and I think you could probably figure it out, Teddy Long was never the Raw general manager. He's the SmackDown nope. general manager. So it should <laughs> yep. not have been on Raw 30. But I digress. Yeah. The match, though, Chris, was completely secondary. It had no storyline relevance whatsoever, obviously. And that's fine. The action was strong. The baby faces absolutely needed to win, given the mood of the show. Double good across everything we got here. Yeah, the DX stuff was incredibly like a lot of times when they do the DX stuff, it gets corny. Like they did the backstage one a couple months ago or something like that before they went out. It was like the DX reunion or something like that. Yeah. That and it was good. a little bit it was a little bit too corny. This like made perfect sense. Like Triple H is retired. We we know that we know why. Like be scared of Imperium. You should be that like that totally worked for me. And I'm glad at the end, Shawn Michaels still got everybody to say, got two words for you, suck it. Like when you bring the legends out, you want to, the fans want to do the thing. They want to, you know, do the the new age outlaws entrance. They want to say, let's get ready to suck it and do all these things. So they were able to Shawn Michaels still threw that in at the end, which I think was good to see. Kurt Angle, his comedic timing remains just impeccable on all these things. Now, remember, yep. I, I love this new like gimmick where, where Kurt Angle is basically like sliding his way into every like stable in WWE <laughs> history. Like, remember when he was a member of the Shield for a minute there? And, yep. like, the fact that the, the, the road dog, Jesse James, and then they turn Kurt, what are you doing here? Like they didn't even see him the whole time. Like that was just it was funny, man. It was it was great. 
Good to see. I, I love the red, white, and blue striped referee outfit for Kurt. So, look, 2001 Kurt Angle is, like, I think my favorite wrestler of all time. And and so, good to see him back in with everything. And, yes, this is how you handle legends with the new guys. Well done. Good. Kurt Angle is, it's, it's a weird category, but, like, serious wrestlers who can still be comedic, right? He's mm-hmm. in the top tier. It's him. Eddie Guerrero was up there. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's certainly others, um, but I'm, I'm putting him in a separate category from obviously like a Santino Morella or, yeah. you know, uh, Brizongo or anything like that. Like for, for someone who's been a world champion and, and can be a serious heel to be this good at comedy. I mean, Kurt, I said Teddy Long stole the segment. He did it. Teddy Long popped me the most in the segment. Kurt Angle was incredible <laughs> this entire time. He was great. So yeah, credit to him, extra credit to Kurt, of course. Uh, let's keep going. Becky Lynch had a scheduled uh, match against Bailey. It was a steel cage match. Damage control attacked Lynch at ringside before they entered the cage and then brought her inside for a three-on-one beating with Dakota Kai chaining the door shut. Io Sky hit an assisted springboard moonsault. And then they hit a triple team assisted neckbreaker as Adam Pierce ran down with some referees and officials and finally broke the chain. Damage control immediately scurried to the top of the cage. And then it was over basically as Raw went to commercial. And this was just extremely odd. Seeing this happen, my expectation was there's going to be a huge save. Lita's going to run out or Beth Phoenix or hell, Sasha Banks and Naomi returning for a a six-woman match or something like that in a massive spot to continue the show's really hot momentum. Or at least I figured, okay, they're going to push the match to the main event. They give a tease and then they put it at the end of the show. We've seen that happen numerous times. Instead, nothing happened. It was just a massive disappointment. We didn't get one of three matches heavily promoted all week for the show and the only women's match that was promoted for the show. And then beyond that, they never even went back to the storyline despite having two hours left. Forget making it the main event. No one even addressed the situation. And we now know the reason why before we tape the show. This did not go as planned. According to PW Insider, the tribal court segment went, quote, extremely long. So they cut the match entirely and went straight to the planned post-match angle. And look, shit happens. It does on live TV. But if you're cutting a match on this show, why would you not cut the completely worthless and unnecessary Bianca Belair, Sonya Deville match and keep this one which has two of the most popular women in the company that you promoted for an entire week. They can't even throw this on the Royal Rumble because you have to believe they're both going to be in the Rumble match itself. There's no other grade to this than bad because again, even if they had to cut a match, which shit happens, they clearly cut the wrong match. They also could have taken the DX, uh, Rollins, Street Profits, Imperium segment and trimmed it down from a time standpoint. There's numerous things they could have done. This can be saved in storyline going forward, but in the moment, there's no other appropriate grade. It has to be bad. I, I was I, I bordered on ugly, I think, and, and not the fault of, again, the people involved. This was bizarre at the time. Now we have the, the explanation for the reason. And look, it happens. It wasn't meant to happen, but I, I, I'm giving this an ugly. Like they blew it. Like there was so there was a good chunk of build to this match 
last week and then like every day leading up to it, Becky and and Bailey and WWE social media, like throwing back all these old Becky Bailey photos of like their friendship and different things that happened in NXT. And I got really into it. I got really excited for it. And then just for that to happen, for that to get cut in that moment, just sucks, just really sucks for all of them. At the time of recording, we don't know if they're going to throw this on the Rumble or not. Probably not, maybe, because it's a SmackDown. As you know, I have to left. assume it's going to go on the Raw after Rumble, right? It's, it'll probably be a Raw next week, but just, man, that really, uh, really sucked. And they deserved a lot better. And once again, we talked about the, the booking of the women in general on Raw 30. And this was a major contributing factor to that. Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Hart were the cold open for Raw. Hogan had a microphone that kept cracking and he did a cheap pop for the Eagles. I would call the response like mixed, mediocre. There were plenty of people who did not want to cheer for him. And, and there was one listener in Philly who told me there were a lot of boos from Hogan. Then we got the Raw is 30 video package we've seen a few times. And man, you really get reminded how many incredible moments there have been. Really the only moment I thought was missing was uh, Paige uh, winning the Raw women's title over AJ Lee. That was it. I think pretty much everything else that needed to be there was there. For a show that was executed as well as this Raw was executed though, the Hogan start was actually one of the legitimate low points. It was a bad start, even if the video package went great. I just, I do not yeah, need to was... see Hulk Hogan anymore. There's major issues, of course, outside the ring and everything that happened with him. There's major issues. Ric Flair was on the show. We'll talk about that later. It was just bad. I don't want this anymore. I think most people just don't care. I think they just, they don't care about Hulk Hogan anymore. So that that's what it is. The video, again, it's been a while since we said it, but the WWE video team is among the absolute best in the business. That, when they showed it last week, I think was when they debuted it, got me just fired the hell up for it. I, I thought just really, really well done. The music worked. Um, the only, uh, the, Paige missing is a good, I, I'm glad they included Jericho. I'm glad they included uh, you know, some other people who aren't in the company now. Sasha Page Banks was, was on there still. Sasha Banks was on there. Paige is a good one to point out to miss. What The one that stuck out to me the most about missing was CM Punk. Uh, nothing in there. And Did they not have the pipe bomb on there? I didn't see it unless oh, I missed okay. it. Let so that, I mean, I watched, it a few, I watched it a few times. I don't remember seeing any CM Punk in there. So, uh, yeah, because the pipe bomb, you know, his record reign championship reign that was the only right. notable one maybe him and triple h still not on good terms i don't know but uh that was the only other notable but i thought the video was really good uh overall yeah it I, seemed I like people played them yeah it, sorry it, it seemed like people who were ex excluded were because of them not because of company alignment like there were plenty of aew people in that video package mm -hmm. it was really just like certain people who maybe are on the outs with WWE. I mean, the Bellas weren't in it. They actually, they pulled out of the show though. And then they talked shit about WWE after. So like, clearly they weren't going to put them in, even though WWE still promoted the Bellas or Nikki Bellas reality show. She's getting married, whatever, some bullshit. Yeah. And they promoted but, Shout out to Nikki Bella, by the way, her just making her entire life or a different reality show every year. Like it's she, look, she works, she works hard to get, <laughs> to get where she is in the entertainment business. No doubt about that. One last thing I wanted to say about the thing they, they played the music, the, 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 that song, that's the cover of blue by full 65. They right. played it too much. Like they played it coming back from commercials when I would have rathered them play the raw is war like music coming back. So they did, they did a few for times, like though. 
a few times when, oh, here's an image from 1998. Here's an image from 2004. But I would have, I just, the commercial breaks, I would have liked to to feel that. So it felt like an, kind of an old school raw type of thing. But yeah, I, I agree. They did play that song too much. I wish they had rotated all the raw themes a little bit more than they did. They did air yeah. some, they did use some, mm-hmm. but I did wish it was all of them, the entire show versus occasionally using them. So you definitely nailed that. The thing that stuck out uh, stood out to me was the graphics package for this was so much more eye-catching and yes. interesting than what they do on Raw for a weekly basis. And I'm not suggesting that the show should be Raw is War again. They're not going to call it that. But if they just use the Raw portion with the lettering, and if you looked at the graphics, the, the font that they used and the colors, it was so much more attractive than what we normally get on Raw on a weekly basis, which is so sterile and bright red and all that type of shit. Infusing the black and the white it just made it feel like, I don't know, like more serious than the Raw does, which is kind of like Disney, what they do now. I agree. Completely agree. The graphics were absolutely on point. Yeah. So was it a bad for Hogan and Jimmy? That's what you said? Bad for Hogan and Jimmy. Good for the video package. Yeah. Which, All right. I'm with, yeah. I'm with you on that. Uh, backstage, JBL tried to get Baron Corbin past the Godfather, who was running security on a poker game. Uh, but Corbin, of course, wasn't on the list. Ron Simmons emerged from the APA door with Corbin, paying him off with a couple stacks to gain entry. It was actually a packed lounge with legends and current superstars all playing poker. Alundra Blaze later thought she won at full house when Diamond Dallas Page laid down a straight flush full of diamonds, of course. Uh, Ted DiBiase then took an L to Corbin, who dropped four aces. He and JBL celebrated until IRS showed up to collect the taxes, leaving them with just one C note. And of course, that led Simmons to say, damn, uh, the poker stuff. It, look, it's tired, given it was just a month ago that they did a poker segment. But it was a good way to throw a bunch of legends on screen. All the segments were fast. I was very happy to see uh, Johnny Gargano and Dexter Loomis there. I know Gargano's hurt, uh, but he still showed up and at least was in the background. Given how well booked the rest of the show was with legends, really no harm, no foul here. Yeah, look, you're uh, legends, you're always going to get a poker skit and it's usually fine. I like that they had the APA door there. You know, that mm-hmm. was nice. And and they did when they ultimately let Corbin in, they did try to kind of put him over, which, a little which bit, I yeah. appreciated a little, a little bit. So it wasn't just Corbin, what a dummy. Ha, let's laugh at him and move on. So there was a little bit of an attempt there. The only thing I also wanted to notice about this, uh, you know, speaking of Hulk Hogan and in people with issues kind of maybe in their recent history. Ted DiBiase yeah. is involved in a Mississippi welfare fraud scam with Brett Favre and Ted's son and like a lot of stuff going on. So like that's some real serious bad stuff. And so that was like, I get so, the gimmick and everything, but that was just kind of icky kind of seeing him. I completely agree. And I'm not like, I don't know. How do I say this? I'm not trying to diminish it, but like him compared to Hogan and Flair, it's not as object. I mean, it's it's still really objectionable and bad. <laughs> don't get me wrong. It's just a complete. It's, it's, it's not it's as a public. completely different kind of very bad. We don't need yeah. to rank them, but it, right, no, 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 exactly. It, it's a completely different kind, and also Ted DiBiase is not as big of a name as Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. And as it works in 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 real life, the bigger name yeah. you are, the more your transgressions get publicized, and the bigger deal they are to the average person. So more people know about Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and what they've done than know about Ted DiBiase. And, and Brett Favre, they know about Brett Favre's thing, but they don't know right. Ted DiBiase's involved. Even Brett Favre, I mean, it's that was really—I don't know if you've noticed, but I mean, they 
it's been pushed under the rug significantly by well, media, sports media included. I blame everyone for that. I mean, it's kind of it's an investigation that's still going on. It's still so ongoing. There, there'll, there'll be more to come. Yeah. Let me put it this way. It wasn't attacked with the vociferousness that I would have expected for a story like it. Sure. Which is a really big deal. All right, we'll keep going. Uh, Charlotte Flair came out on SmackDown wanting Sonya Deville to talk shit face to face. So Deville said she's a star who required six people to pull her off Flair. She got some legitimate heat from the crowd. Flair said there's plenty of stars in WWE and Sonya is the one who is actually arrogant and entitled, not her. I don't care if she's a babyface or a heel. That is total bullshit. Charlotte Flair is the <laughs> most arrogant and entitled person maybe in WWE history. Uh, Charlotte offered a match. Yes. Sonya declined, saying there was nothing in it for her unless the title was on the line. And then before Flair could agree, which she was going to agree, Adam Pierce came out to like lay down the law. But as he began speaking, Sonya cold cocked Charlotte and left the ring. When I tell you I was confused by this, that's putting it mildly. Last week, Sonya was told she couldn't get a rematch. So she attacked Charlotte without resolution. I could have sworn these promos were just going to be preceding a rematch, given they were both in full gear. Then Sonya declines a match, even though a win would have gained her a title match. Now, the end with DeVille catching Flair blind while Pierce spoke, I actually thought that was awesome. You never see anyone do that. And Charlotte being over with Sonya getting legit heat, that's important because the alignment is working, even if I don't like Flair at all as a babyface. But it did not save what was an extremely strange and candidly really boring segment. This was bad. This was bad, extremely weird. Charlotte, like, again, just like talking about, you know, the fans and other people being selfish. It's just like, you're Charlotte Flair, man. That's your entire character. Not saying she's like that in real life, but that's her entire character. Most of her career. It's just it was just it. It's not clicking for me. And I just this came to mind was the last time we saw Rick and Charlotte together. Lacey when Rick fake being Lacey Evans, baby daddy. Yep. <laughs> Charlotte kind of. Yeah. So not that you need to like acknowledge that because father and daughter can work things out behind the scenes, but I was just like, Oh yeah, that happened. I, well, you jumped <laughs> ahead because we didn't talk about raw yet, but yes, that is true. Yes. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I, I'm mixing the two together, but yes. Yeah. All right. So on raw, uh, Ric Flair did a similar open to Hogan, but he did it for hour three instead of hour one, but he said he was there to put over Charlotte and introduce her as the greatest women's champion in WWE history. And the amount of times Ric Flair has said this on TV, I mean, she has the most titles. I wouldn't call her the greatest regardless. Charlotte said Raw is where women's wrestling was revolutionized and moved past the Divas era. She shouted out a bunch of women that she faced and said that she may be the SmackDown champion, but Raw is always her home. That obviously brought out the actual Raw champion, Bianca Belair, who said nothing. Sonya then came out criticizing Charlotte for flying out Rick to get her over when she's not wanted. And she said, no one cares about Bianca. And then somehow this became a match. So we got Belair against DeVille in a non-title match. This was mediocre. It ended literally seconds after Raw came back from commercial with Belair winning via KOD. It was rough from start to finish. And it made the Charlotte-Sonya angle on SmackDown even more nonsensical because DeVille just lost to the other brand's champion. So now she's lost to both of them, one in a title match, and she still wants another title match with Flair. I get that it's an in-between storyline for Charlotte. It's still bad. And Belair got looped into it for no reason whatsoever. And beyond that, Charlotte is fully back now to being shoved down our fucking throats. Except this mm -hmm. time, she's in a worse fitting role as a babyface. I was willing to give her a chance upon returning because 
She got a great baby face pop. She did. But I can't help but groan when I see her on TV. Why Charlotte fucking Flair continues to be pushed over Becky Lynch. I get Vince and Triple H love the flares. Holy shit. When I see her on TV, I cannot stand it. I would much rather have Ronda Rousey as champion. I don't understand why they did the turn or the um, the title change. I don't know where Ronda is or if she's even coming back. I have no idea what they're going to do with Charlotte Flair at the Royal Rumble or for WrestleMania. If they book Charlotte Flair and Ronda Rousey for WrestleMania instead of Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch, which is where it looked like it was headed, I, I just can't take it. This was, I mean, it wasn't ugly because I really do save uglies for things that are like objectionable to a degree that angers me. But this is just Charlotte being on TV more than she needs to be. And for her saying, I always think that I'm a a raw superstar. Bullshit. You've been a SmackDown superstar. You're basically your entire career. I know she had a long run on Raw for a period of time. I've always thought of her as a SmackDown superstar. She didn't need to be on the show. If she was on the show, that's okay. But the Raw Women's Champion is the one who should have been featured in her feud, which has a match at the Royal Rumble. Not this bullshit. Not Flair. Not Sonya Deville. Also, I'm a SmackDown by hearts on Raw. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, no one company. Shit. Like, yeah, nobody cares. It's exactly what I predicted when Charlotte came back and won the title immediately. I was like, all right, we're gonna get, we're gonna get absolute Charlotte again, and she's gonna be positioned as a babyface, and it's gonna be extremely weird. And that's exactly how it's playing out. Again, I think she works as a heel that we're sick of the the shove down her throat. Like that's you start someone chasing her and taking her down. That's the story, right? Not, whatever we're doing here. What like we, we have no reason to 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 believe in Sonia Deville. Charlotte's the all-powerful babyface champion. There's nothing that's interesting there. This is her crap. On SmackDown, we had the tag team tournament to determine a number one contender for the SmackDown titles. So let's go through all these matches. We'll do them separately. We had the Banger Bros against the Viking Raiders. The Raiders wore them boys armbands for Jay Briscoe, and Michael Cole shared his condolences to start SmackDown. Drew McIntyre hit his signatures on the hot tag until getting laid out on the double team as Sheamus disappeared for five minutes. Sheamus eventually caught Eric with white noise as Drew sat up from a tree of woe to throw Ivar off the ropes. McIntyre hit a future shock DDT, but Ivar countered Claymore with a roundhouse kick. Bahala distracted on a bro kick setup as Ivar hit a huge splash for a false finish. Sheamus countered a double team with a pump knee to Ivar. McIntyre caught Eric with Claymore and Sheamus finished Ivar with the bro kick for the win in nearly 20 minutes. One thing I do know, there was a lot of beef out there. There's a lot of beef out here. I mean, we opened SmackDown with 18 minutes of big meaty men slapping meat. (laughs) Big meaty men slapping meat. (laughs) There was just a lot of beef flying out there. And it's not unusual or necessarily wrong to put a pair of top single stars over an established tag team. But when they showed the bracket for this, it became obvious that this should have been saved for the semifinals at a minimum, if not the finals. The seating was off. And even though it was a good opening round match, and I'm going to give it a good, as a sports fan, that frustrates me. I asked for more tournaments. This one just feels random and irrelevant now that the number two contenders, the Viking Raiders, are already eliminated from it. Yeah, the tournament's kind of weird, but I thought this match was great. I I, I loved it. Like, 
I'm really liking what we're getting from the Viking Raiders. Even losing in this match, I think, was still a step forward for them because they look great. Losing to Sheamus and Drew McIntyre, there's no shame in former, two former world champions. The Banger Bros thing is like, it's working for me. We know they're friends. It's funny. Everybody's in on the joke. It's not like a submission sorority thing. And and so it just, it's working for me. The tournament as a whole, I, I, I don't know. But it, at least some of these matches, and especially this one, I really, I, I really liked it. So this is good for you? Yes. I have no problem with the Banger Bros name, but I got to say, even though McIntyre and Sheamus are legitimately friends, they work together plenty on screen, the pairing comes off forced and unnatural to me. It just does. It, it seems unnecessary for them to be in this spot right now. It's the best way I can put it. That I agree with, but they're not really doing anything else. And so when you don't have anything for McIntyre, and it's, it's kind of like Undertaker and Kane. Like when you don't have anything for them individually, just throw them together and let them do some stuff because it yeah. generally works. They'll do good matches. I think the segments are pretty good. I I, I think I, it works for me. It's it's fine. Again, it's fine. It's just based on what we're going to talk about now, the alignment of the tournament it just didn't make any sense. So the second match was Hit Row against Los Lotharios, which should never be a first round match. Uh, B-Fab oh. grabbed Umberto's ankle and Ashanti the Adonis rolled him up for the win in three minutes. This was straight up terrible. The teams should have fought the Banger Bros and the Raiders in respective quarterfinal matches. Each of those could have gone eight to 10 minutes with the lower teams getting, you know, some spots to look good before ultimately losing and then setting up Banger Bros against Raiders as the semifinal. Instead, this semifinal match is going to be a cakewalk for McIntyre and Sheamus. It doesn't make any sense. And a tournament quarterfinal match only lasting three minutes no matter what, for me, it's going to get in ugly. This is bullshit, man! I don't know if I'd give it ugly. I'll give it a bad. To your point about the tournament, did they ever explain why it popped up this way? I, I think to the no. point of, hey, why are Brutes and Imperium a first-round match? Why are Banger Bros and Viking Raiders a first-round match? They should have just like done some sort of drawing and said, oh, man, they drew no, a really No, they should seed it like match. the NCAA tournament or like any tournament where well, yes, in but the I'm first saying, like, round, your yes. really good teams are fighting lower teams and then they meet in the semifinals. And it, it was just so stupid the way they, they it, took it, the tournament. It's fair to say we hit row didn't need like a win to like look strong for whatever reason. Like they're, 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 they're a they low just won card a, team. They just won a gauntlet or a number one contendership or whatever. Yeah. To get the last title match. Remember? Right. In if your power, if you're just ranking the importance of these tag teams, like you said, the Viking Raiders are probably the number two and number three, most important tag team in this group. And so yes. you think you would set up the tournament better to make them look better. Right. Right. Not having the Viking Raiders, like the Viking Raiders should have been able to beat hit row. And Drew and Sheamus should have been able to beat Los Lotharios. And then mm -hmm. they fight each other in the semifinals. How hard is that? Yep. It's really not that big of a deal. And but, the, but the it makes so much more sense than this. The other side of the tournament's the exact same thing, too. It's, it's similar. Not as bad, but similar. So the other side, we had Brawling Brutes against Imperium. Sheamus pumped up the guys in gorilla position. And before the Bangers Bro match earlier, Bangers Bro, the Banger Bros match earlier, he was mentioned as representing the Brutes. So referring back to my thoughts from last week, Chris, they are seemingly still together, despite being now two sets of tag teams. Giovanni Vinci hit a great double springboard moonsault. Vinci caught 
Butch falling off the ring apron with a delayed brainbuster to ringside, which was a great move. Then he blind tagged and grabbed Ridge Holland for the Imperial Bomb with the heels advancing. I wish it got more than nine minutes because there was really great action both ways. The brainbuster spot outside was awesome, as I said, but the right team won. Imperium looked great. They survived. They advanced. This was a good match. Yes, good match. Similar to kind of what you said, probably could have been a semifinal match, just kind yes. of given what these guys have done. And, you know, is what it is. I appreciate it. Like you said, the Seamus Brutes connection, acknowledging that, you know, move forward. So this was a good. Yeah. Now, the other quarterfinal was Legato del Fantasma against Maximum Male Models. Wild jumped off Ma- Massey's back for a DDT on Mansois before they hit their double team Russian leg sweep finisher for the win in three minutes. I was disappointed, actually, in MMM here. They were way rougher in the ring than I expected, given their consistently working live events. Legato, smooth as usual, but they were unable to show off their skill. Next week against Imperium is going to be outstanding, Imperium and Legato, but it's heel versus heel. So what I would have loved to have seen is Legato fight either Imperium or Brawling Brutes in the first round, the other team fighting Maximum Male Models, and then again, the winners fight each other in the semifinal. And if you get Brutes and Imperium, that's fine, but at least let Legato show off against a really good team. Now, they're still going to get to do that against Imperium, but it's heel versus heel, and that's kind of tough to buy into. So, you know, I'm I'm glad Legato won, but the match was like nothing. So I'm saying bad just because it wasn't long enough or interesting enough to be good. Yeah, I'm I'm saying bad for the same reason. Do we know, you know, we got SmackDown coming up this week. Do we know if there's a tag, a SmackDown title match at Rumble, or is that going to be SmackDown next week? I can't imagine it's the Rumble. So no, next week's the semifinals. And then you would presume the title match will be the SmackDown. Well, this week, this week's the semifinals. Yeah, this week's the semifinals. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll probably be after the Rumble then that they do the the tag match. And and on top of that, Chris, this tournament as a whole, it just feels rushed. They had four matches on one show. One was 18 minutes, one was nine and two or three each. Why why are you forcing it all in? The titles aren't on the line at Royal Rumble. They didn't split off the Raw titles Monday. So why are you pushing this in such a short span when two matches are three minutes each? It just, it made those losers feel completely irrelevant. Yep, I agree. One more thing before we move on. Are you watching the Making It Maximum series on YouTube? Because let me tell you, dude, it is downright hysterical. I've not. What is it? It's Maximum Male Models in a YouTube series, basically. No, I have. I, I periodically check the YouTube page, but I just I haven't seen it. They WWE uploads a ton of videos on that. So page. there's an entire it. I don't want to call it a channel playlist. There's an entire playlist on these so you can watch them. Um, each of them is probably three to five minutes. I watched them all in like one point two five speed just so they went a little bit faster. It's amazing. It's hysterical. It's as good. Maybe even a little bit better than the fashion files. Oh, wow. I, yeah. I know I mentioned a couple weeks ago about uh, uh, not about the old JBL and Cole show. So if WWE mm-hmm. has another YouTube show going on, I need to check this out. I think it might be just like 10 episodes and they may not do it anymore. But I think the, the last one, I believe, is coming this week. Uh, so anyone who's listening, and Chris, you as well, if you haven't watched it yet, watch it. We'll talk, it, talk about it on next Tuesday's show. Usually the uh, WWE episode of this podcast coming off a premium live event because we do the instant analysis. There's only so much to talk about. So we'll talk about making it maximum next week. Try to fit it in. In total, it should take you less than a half hour to watch the entire thing. And it's worth it. Very funny. 
Yeah. Uh, Karrion Cross on SmackDown got a promo package saying Rey Mysterio can't decide whether he wants to be the family man or the greatest of all time. And in this business, you can't be both. The color scheme, the visuals, the delivery of this promo were fantastic. One of the two or three best things that Cross has done on the main roster. As I said last week, they're finally figuring him out. And it sounds like Cross Mysterio is going to be on the go-home SmackDown, preceding the Royal Rumble with both of them in the match. This was good. Uh, yeah. Again, another week. Just They seem to have found a, a good fit for Cross. And Scarlett uh, posted on Instagram that uh, Cross is in some movie, I think maybe directed by or skit directed by Kevin Sullivan or something. And he looked, he's like carrying really? across, like wrote it or something. Yeah. So I got to check this out too. Speaking of things we need to check out going on, but I just saw it earlier today, but uh, yeah, no cross is finding a rhythm here. You know, it, it doesn't have to be the biggest thing in the world. It's just, uh, it's just something that's really solid. He's a good mid card hand, upper mid card hand. He can get into a main event match if needed, but he needs something that people can actually care about. And this is just the best presentation of him that we've gotten. And I, I'm including NXT. This is the best he's looked, not from a physical standpoint necessarily, but um, just the, the gimmick, what they're doing, more of a hitman, uh, kind of utilizing the TikTok stuff in the background of it as opposed to making it the feature. I really like what they're doing with Karrion Cross. Uh, Lacey Evans' latest video package was her putting over the Cobra Clutch as her new finisher while explaining why it's such a devastating move by tapping out women in the Performance Center. As I've said multiple times already, I may not love this, and I definitely don't like her, but it is by far the best Lacey has been presented during her entire WWE career. It's the first gimmick that to me is even the least bit intriguing, and because of that, I'm giving it a good, but it's all about the execution. So if she comes out and it's the same Lacey and just it's boring and her promos suck and whatever, then it's not going to work. My presumption is she's going to make her return in the Royal Rumble, but I do want to give them credit for at least piquing my interest on her when previously I've never cared at all. Now, here's a question. Do you put, uh, do you put Sergeant Slaughter with her? Absolutely not. <laughs> is that a little, is that a little too campy while she's trying to be serious? Uh, not only is it too campy, Sergeant Slaughter, I mean, you know, given this is something that's happening more and more uh, in the United States, he's under a significant amount of criticism for like stolen valor. And Lacey is a yes. legitimate yep. Marine. So yes. you do not yeah. put them together. Yeah, that is definitely something that uh, has happened. Yeah, for sure. All right, that was the good, the bad, and the ugly, Chris. That leads us to the final, and some would say the most important segment on today's show, the 2023 WWE Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview. There are only five matches on this show. Two of them are Royal Rumble matches. We're going to break down everything that happened on Raw and SmackDown pertaining to these matches that we have not already discussed. We're going to give predictions for each match. And then at the very end of the show, we're going to give our pre-show expectation grade for the Royal Rumble. And one more reminder, you have an opportunity to provide your pre-show expectation grade on a Twitter poll that we will post Saturday before the premium live event begins. So Chris, let's kick things off with the only non-title, non-Royal Rumble match on the show, Bray Wyatt versus LA Knight in a pitch black match. We actually have stuff to talk about across both SmackDown and Raw, so let's get right into that first, and then we'll go a little more. Uh, LA Knight fought Brent Jones, a jobber, on SmackDown. The Wyatt graphics flashed constantly as Knight walked to the ring. He cut a promo on Wyatt, living on his past glory and not knowing 
whether he is or is not Uncle Howdy, while promising to make him regret returning to WWE. After the bell, the graphics flashed twice more while he was wrestling. He hit BFT for the squash win, and then suddenly, the Firefly Funhouse returned and aired on the Titantron with all the characters respawning, I guess is the best way for it. Ramblin' Rabbit liked LA Knight, and Wyatt had one of the best lines of the entire year. Quote, what kind of ding-dong names their son Los Angeles Knight? Outstanding. <laughs> he said the rabbit should be scared of the dark when suddenly the Funhouse TV was taken over by Uncle Howdy, who said, I told you so. All you needed was a little push. Then Wyatt said, I hope you're satisfied. I hope you understand. You're the one who opened the door. And now whatever comes through it is your problem. Now, this is what I figured would happen last week when we saw the cult leader with them rolling through the gimmicks one by one. And who knows what we're going to get at the Rumble. It could be The Fiend. I hope it's not. The first match should be this new version of Wyatt, not the worst version of him in the ring. As we sit here though, Chris, I don't know that there's much to say about this match. We're going to talk about what happened on Raw, but we don't exactly know what the stipulation is going to be. And while it's plausible that Howdy costs Wyatt the match for some storyline reason, I just find it being really surprising for him to lose his first match back against someone who is still in the process of being established and can easily take a loss like Knight. So I liked what we got on SmackDown. My prediction for the match, because we don't need to save the prediction for what we're going to talk about next. My prediction for the match is Wyatt winning. And I'll throw it over to you to talk about SmackDown and the match itself. Now, this was the... Is this the promo that LA Knight opened by saying, what the heck is Bray Wyatt talking about? He said he's Uncle Howdy. You yes. Know, like, which we said on the podcast last week. <laughs> You're like, why did he say that? So, Which means like, it was purposeful, L- by the way. I thought it was purposeful yes. and it was purposeful. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just, it was good for that to be acknowledged. Um, look, Bray's last couple of weeks, bringing back old Bray's. What does it mean? I don't know. We still haven't gotten any. We, we never did get any explanation for what a pitch black match is. Maybe we get it this Friday, but um, in terms of what happened on SmackDown, it's fine. My pick for the match is Bray Wyatt. Again, this is, I don't know what the match is going to be, what anything, you know, does Uncle Howdy cost Bray, help Bray? I don't know. So I, I am very much intrigued, but I think Bray Wyatt's first match back you know, four months after his return, I, I, I think he wins this. Now, as I said, there is more to talk about here with Wyatt and Knight, but since it didn't affect the match, I wanted to get our predictions out of the way. So let's go ahead and talk about what happened here on Raw. Uh, Knight was on Raw calling Wyatt a grown man incel playing with puppets. And I saw people surprised that he called him an incel. He's been saying this since NXT. It's like one of his default insults. I kind of don't like that he uses it so much, but he does. So get over it. Uh, He repeated Wyatt living on past glory, like he said on SmackDown. And he said the legends backstage were all doing the exact same thing. So he dared any of them to come face him. The crowd definitely responded tonight. No question. Suddenly, the Undertaker's music hit, but it cut off after about 30 seconds and was replaced by American Badass to an audible groan from the crowd, which I have to say was understandable because if the Undertaker's coming out, You want the full Undertaker entrance if you're a fan in attendance. Taker came out on the Harley as Knight dipped out of the ring. He agreed with Taker that the locker room is soft. And he said, no one is more soft than Wyatt. Knight jumped on the ring apron and decided to give Taker a pass 
so he can enjoy his retirement. He started dropping his lines on the ramp to kind of end the segment when suddenly the light shut off and Wyatt's music hit. He appeared behind LA Knight with a lantern and slowly stalked him all the way back basically into the ring. Uh, Knight eventually got inside where Taker was there waiting. He caught him blind with a chokeslam setup, but instead he just squeezed his neck, tossed him to Wyatt, who hit Sister Abigail. The crowd chanted, holy shit, as Taker grabbed his glasses off the canvas, stared down Wyatt, and whispered something into his ear. Wyatt nodded in a passing the torch moment, and then Taker drove off on the chopper. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. And you know what? I've probably actually said it a thousand times in reality. Taker should have put over Wyatt in either his final match or his final moment when he appeared in that Survivor Series farewell segment. He needed to go out on his back, either in an official match or not, and legitimately pass the torch. Now that years have passed, for someone like me who wanted this to happen for a long time, I was so thankful that I at least got some small part of what I was hoping to see. And for that, I greatly appreciated Triple H recognizing the opportunity and delivering the moment. It also left a cliffhanger that WWE can go back to. It may be as simple as Wyatt one day telling us what Taker said, or it could result in a storyline down the road. It could Mm -hmm. be nothing. Or maybe Taker just cautioned Wyatt not to get JoJo's name tattooed on his neck now that they're in (laughs) Anyway, like I said, I always wanted this It was awesome to see it actually happen, even if it was a greatly reduced version of what I desired to see. And I thank all of them, really, Triple H, Wyatt, Taker, for delivering that moment that me as a wrestling fan actually wanted for years. Right before we started recording, Bray Wyatt tweeted a picture of The Undertaker talking to him, along with a picture from their match at WrestleMania 31. And Wyatt said... This moment justified a lifetime of sacrifices for me, a lifetime of people treating my uniqueness like it was a disease. Through all the bad times, I never changed myself to fit anyone's narrative. I'm proud of that. Thank you, Taker. Hashtag suck at LA (laughs) night. And I I, I think ultimately what he's saying is that's Undertaker just putting Bray Wyatt over, which we never really got. As you kind of explained. Like they had the, you know, they had the match. Undertaker won that match at WrestleMania 31. There were other opportunities. There was the Undertaker Kane tag team match where they mm-hmm. beat the Wyatt family. Like there really wasn't that moment. So that's what that moment clearly meant to everybody. You know what? So you know what this also was? was? It was also a fuck you to Vince McMahon because he's saying people treating my uniqueness like it was a disease. All the bad times, I never changed myself to fit anyone's narrative, Vince's narrative. So it was a thank you for Taker and a reflection of that. It was also an F you to Vince for who released him because he was tough to deal with and unique and all that bullshit. And Triple H comes in and gives him the moment that he should have gotten a long time ago. Yeah, it, it, it can be that as well. The, the I like seeing American Badass Taker. Um, I didn't I didn't get a sense of the groan from the crowd that you apparently did. But I think maybe going I, I think maybe going from the do, the gong, people thinking they're getting they're old, I get to experience an Undertaker entrance to not quite getting that. That was probably a, a a bait and switch or whatever that they didn't like. But it was good to see American Badass Undertaker. Took a minute for the motorcycle to get out there. They kept, kept having to <laughs> yeah. cut the camera and stuff like that. So uh a little bit, bit of a false start, but that was all good. Um 
Now there was there was one other topic on this uh, I wanted to talk about. Are, are you good? Is it my turn now? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. All right. Now let me talk to you. We got to talk about L.A. Knight here because let's, let's this guy, this guy, is to me clearly on the road to being a pretty big star in mm-hmm. WWE. He is. Uh, WWE's promoting a tweet of his for the for the Mountain Dew Pitch Black match. He's carrying this Bray Wyatt feud. He's getting all of his catchphrases over. Yeah, everybody's doing these things. I tweeted about this during SmackDown, and uh, uh, someone replied and said that they went to a SmackDown a couple weeks ago in Memphis, and everybody was doing Ric Flair woos and stuff like that during intermissions and whatever. And after L.A. Knight had a segment, everybody started doing the yes. Like everybody's mm-hmm. just starting to do that. He's getting these things over. And then on Monday night, we get an Undertaker Bray Wyatt segment where L.A. Knight does all the talking. He mm-hmm. said every single word in that thing. And to me, that is Triple H and WWE saying, all right, we can do something with this guy. We can rely on this guy in big moments. I think he's kind of positioned to be maybe not the next, but like another Miz of a guy who can talk his way around anything and you can put him in a lot of different things and use him a lot Absolutely. of different ways. Yep. But I think his his unique ability on the mic to get not just people hating him, but to get catchphrases over, to get people cheering him, even when he's a heel and he has to tell the crowd to shut up. This guy is on the road to, I think, doing some really big things in WWE, especially I think maybe he'll have to turn face like happened in NXT. And I just wanted to bring this up because we've talked about LA Knight a lot back in the NXT days when you you didn't like him. And I said, no, I think there's something there. And now we're at this point where he's in an Undertaker Bray Wyatt segment. He is on a rocket right now. Yeah. Yeah, everything you just said is is really spot on. I mean, he's the return feud for the biggest return of the Triple H era, which is Bray Wyatt. And like you said, he got every ounce of talking during a segment with The Undertaker on the 30th anniversary of Raw. And if that doesn't tell you the belief that WWE has in this guy, um, then you're blind to it. As simple as that. But I want to take issue with what you keep saying, uh, which I feel is a mischaracterization (laughs) of my opinions on LA Knight. And and you and one of our listeners, JB, mentioned this on Twitter. When LA Knight debuted on NXT, I said the name was horrendous and the gimmick was not working. And I was and remain 100% right about the name. And I maintain that I was right about the gimmick at that time. You liked him right off the bat and that's your prerogative to like him right off the bat. Because the, I knew him, I knew him as Eli Drake in TNA, and I really liked him there. Sure, so I, I could see the bigger picture with him, and that's fine. The reason why my mind was changed on him was because NXT changed his character and turned him babyface. When they made that move, suddenly the gimmick worked much better in that setting. His promos became more entertaining. He fell into the character more than he did initially. Even now, as a heel on the main roster. For me, he may not be hitting as well as he would as a babyface, but he took the lessons he learned in NXT and is applying them now. Plus, the gimmick has actually been established. Being able to change my opinion and not stubbornly stick with a take just because it was my initial impression, that should be lauded, not criticized, as should LA Knight for drastically improving as a character. But no matter how positive we want to be about him, 
There's one thing that I will maintain from now until the end of his career. And that is the name absolutely sucks. I, I, I can't deny the name is extremely odd, but him leaning into it works. And I'm glad we got the acknowledgement from the Firefly Finals. Hey, what kind of name is Los Angeles Knight? It's, it's really ridiculous. Weird. But it almost it like it kind of it kind of fits his character as like my name is not L.A. Knight. My my that's like my persona. That's how I present myself to the world is sure. something like that. My real name is Alan Rick or whatever his name is, or Eli Drake or whatever you want to do. It, it, he, it, that works. I don't know if he ever needs to acknowledge it. It is goofy, but he's getting it over, man. Like people, like people are not like getting distracted by his weird ass name. They're Chen LA Knight when he does the finger points, man. Like he just, he gets all the, just, he feels like an, old school type of wrestler where he's always talking with intensity. He's talking to the crowd. He's getting catchphrases over. He's doing all these different things. He talks like the rock with the stone cold, Steve Austin cadence. Mm -hmm. Um, His theme song is a banger. Really enjoying that. I just thought what we got on SmackDown and raw, the clearest sign yet that this company fully believes in this dude. And I know he's 40, and I and I know he's forty, so he's forty. Maybe, Sammy's thirty-eight. Cody's thirty-seven. Right, forty's I, the I, new. I'm third. just saying for a guy, yeah. yeah. But for a guy who's just just now on the main roster at forty years old, that doesn't mean necessarily future world champion. But like, I could see it, like like down the well, road at some point. I think he's he's going to get extremely over, especially when he makes that turn face, just like he did in NXT. I think the Miz comparison that you gave was fantastic. It's just that he's Mm -hmm. starting at a much older age than Miz did when he was in that role where you can be a transitional champion. You can be a mid-card champion for a really long time. You could put LA Knight uh, with the United States Championship or if he moves to Raw or put him Mm -hmm. as intercontinental champion well after Gunther drops the title. And he's legit in that role. Like you totally would believe him as a mid-card champion. So I think he's an upper mid-carder who can be in that Miz role they could definitely give him a talking segment at some point, you know, an interview segment or whatever. It's it's really just fantastic. But we also need to recognize, you know, a lot of people are so happy to focus. And I, I believe most of this is disingenuous on Triple H bringing people back and they're not really working, but they don't they ignore some of the things that he's done with people who are currently on the roster or who may have other, otherwise been fired already. This guy within the last three months went from Max Dupree in what was probably a go-nowhere maximum male models gimmick as it was constructed at that time to now being a guy who, again, is in the first major feud with Bray Wyatt and did all of the talking in a segment on the 30th anniversary of Raw with The Undertaker. And by the way, didn't look like a clown in that segment. Yeah, he ultimately ate Sister Abigail, but he didn't look like an idiot. He seemed like he was getting the upper hand on both of them the entire time. And that deserves a lot of praise. Yep, absolutely. Looking forward to, to big things. I was just thinking, imagine LA Knight versus Austin Theory. Fa- face LA Knight versus Austin Theory for the US Championship. And he wins like, the title. It's huge, huge pop. I'd be I'd be real into that. Like I just yeah. I think there's a lot of potential here and just wanted to shout him out cuz uh he's doing a good job. Yeah, I mean, he's on SmackDown, I know, but if they figure out a way, if they do like a multi-man ladder match at WrestleMania and Theory puts up the US title and LA Knight's in that match, he could absolutely win that match. Not even a question. And it would be legit. People would buy it. 
All right, let's keep going here with the uh, Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview. Still have four matches left. The Raw Women's Championship, Bianca Belair defending against Alexa Bliss. Now, Belair, after the match with Sonya Deville on Raw, she grabbed the mic saying what she did to Sonya was a preview of what she would do to Alexa. The screen flashed with a Bliss version of the Wyatt like graphics. Uh, she appeared in a dressing room, cutting a promo directly into a mirror. It was great camera work by WWE. She said she didn't need anyone, including Uncle Howdy, to help her beat Belair's ass and walk out as champion. Now, you can say what you will about Bliss as a main eventer in the women's division, and I don't think she should be one, but her mic work and the character development we've gotten from her in the last month has been fantastic. I actually care about this match way more than I thought I would, and I do actually think there's a legitimate chance of a title change here. Now, that's not my prediction. My prediction is Belair has to retain the title and take it going into WrestleMania season. But Bliss's character is to the point where it's at least a possibility that she wins, and that did not exist before. Like I said last week, that the, that the Alexa Bliss part of the Uncle Howdy storyline was more interesting than the Bray Wyatt part of it. And I still think that's the case. And Alexa Bliss, very good actress, you know, if we want to call her that, from from a lot of the stuff Absolutely she's done she over is. the years. And she, she is uh, excelling in this. And... So there we go. My pick is Bianca as well. Um, I don't, again, putting the belt on spooky people generally doesn't work. I'm very curious how they, does just Bianca win clean and, and Uncle Howdy takes her away, bless away or something? I don't know. I'm curious to see what kind of spooky stuff we'll get around this at least. Yeah, agreed. The whole thing with the the spookiness and the gimmick is Bliss doesn't need the title. And, and there's really no benefit right. for her actually to win the title whatsoever because there's not a bunch of baby faces on Raw that are like ready to be put over at WrestleMania, but they got to change the title and put it on the heel for that to happen. That's not the case because the women's division isn't really being booked that well, but there is a heel on Raw and there is a heel potentially on SmackDown that need to be able to challenge a baby face champion. Plus on top of that, Belair's reign, which has not been great by any means, but ending to bliss on the Royal Rumble when it could end and put someone over at WrestleMania and she could be on the other side of the coin for once. You have to pay it off with Belair dropping the title if she does drop it at all at WrestleMania. You don't just do it at the Royal Rumble. So we're both in agreement. Belair is winning here. And we think, I just want to clarify, we were both in agreement that Wyatt is going to beat LA Knight in their match, right? Yes. All right. So we're on the same page there. Let's move, since we're talking about the women, we'll go to the women's Royal Rumble. And really, anytime you preview a match like this, Chris, uh, there's only so much you can talk about because ultimately it's just about who's going to win and what do you want to see happen in the match itself. Now, uh, there's only been, I don't have the list in front of me, but there's only been like eight women in, announced. And I think it's pretty obvious. Look, if you're a woman on the main roster who is not the champion coming out of the Raw women's title match and you're not Charlotte Flair, then you're going to be in this match. And then there's going to yeah. be some legends and probably some NXT women mixed in as well. So really what I want to look at first before we get to the potential winners are the potential surprises, okay? And I think you certainly have Alita who's out there and you certainly have a Beth Phoenix who's out there and potentially could get into something with Rhea Ripley, let's not forget, who's the person who injured her and sent her off. But the number one surprise that I think we're actually going to get in the match is Naomi. I believe mm -hmm. that uh, whether Sasha Banks somehow makes a surprising return, which is possible. She could. 
Uh, it's not doesn't seem likely that Sasha Banks will be there. But it does kind of feel like we've been radio silent on Naomi. I believe she's still under contract, reportedly with WWE. And it would just make a lot of sense for a really big baby face moment for have Naomi to come back in this match. So if I was a betting man, which I am, and I had to uh, bet on one surprise out of anyone, Naomi would be that surprise. Yeah, that that would make the most sense. I'm thinking back to last year's Rumble. Sasha, if I have this right, they brought Sasha Banks back the Friday night before the Rumble in a surprise return, then had her start at like number two or something in the Rumble, and then was out for a while again after that. We, we She like came back from injury, I think that was. Does that sound right? So I'm trying to just remember what happened. I, don't, Sasha rem- Banks, I really she, don't remember. Sasha's got, she has a match coming up in, I think it's, is it the New Japan show in San Francisco? Correct. Uh, in, um, I don't know if it's San Francisco, Santa Clara. It's somewhere over there, yeah. San Jose. Yeah, maybe. so 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 it's it's not impossible that she could come back and still do a, a New Japan match. Absolutely. With Carl Anderson. Yeah. But it it does feel unlikely. Naomi makes a lot more sense for, for the reasons that you said. Uh, Lita, Tristratus, uh, trying to think of what else there is. Do you think AJ Lee would ever make a comeback? Man, I just, I don't see that. Yeah, she did, uh, had some very, not, uh, not great, not flattering things to say about WWE uh, in her book that came out a bit ago. You never know, right. but, you know, just, I'm trying to think of other people who haven't come There just back. needs to be like, like the problem with Royal Rumbles in recent past is for the women, the, the women who are the surprises, the legends who show up, it's the same group. It's like you get Michelle right. McCool and you get Trish. And I love Trish, right? And I love Lita mm-hmm. and Beth Phoenix is great. But it's just like there's only so many women who can come back. And the ones that we don't ever right. see are the ones we really want back. Like AJ Lee, like they'd be really, really cool. And maybe the Bellas come in and WWE smooths something over with them and puts them in the match. Mm-hmm. That's possible. But when it comes to like a surprise that is going to pop me, really Naomi making her return and getting a moment and kind of just being back in the fold. I'm not saying Naomi's a main eventer or she's the greatest women's wrestler or anything like that, but the fans would really pop. And I think that would be a moment that would be yes. remembered in the short term, Naomi coming back. Agree. Yep, makes sense. Right. Now, in terms of potential winners, right? Uh, this is what we always do for like Money in the Bank or Elimination Chamber. It's a huge match. There's a ton of people in it. You got to narrow it down to people who could legitimately win and it would make sense them challenging for one of the titles at WrestleMania. and. I'm going to skip anyone coming from NXT. I don't think NXT at this point in time is built up enough where you could bring over like Alba Fire or one of the other top women over there and just kind of enter them into the match, them win, and people would buy it. I don't think it would work the way it would have in the past. Go ahead. This could count as a surprise. You'd kind of be interesting. Uh, Mandy Rose. Mandy Rose being brought back potentially, but man, Mandy Rose in a women's title match at WrestleMania. Does anyone really want to see that? No, not not to win. I mean, just kind of someone coming up from NXT, another kind of surprise, technically from NXT. That This is more in the surprise well, category. Yeah, she'd be um, released. Yeah, coming back from being released. I don't think that, I think that bridge is burned. Also, she continues to post the pictures. Yeah, she's not going to stop posting. So it's, so. It's, it's unlikely, but I yeah. just want to throw that out there. So no, so in terms of the potential winners, um, I have a list of, let me do a count, one, two, three. I have five names um, that I think could potentially win the Royal Rumble. One of them is Sasha Banks. If she somehow made a surprising return, her coming back, huge pop, her winning, huge pop, her fighting 
Um, it would have to be Charlotte Flair. They're not going to do the Bianca Belair match again. Her fighting Charlotte Flair potentially at WrestleMania and winning the title at WrestleMania, which is something we've still wanted from Sasha Banks after all these years, it would be massive if they brought her back in this moment and certainly to win and then go on to win at WrestleMania. Aside from that, which I think is unlikely, uh, the other names I have would be the loser of the Bianca Belair-Alexa Bliss match. That's played out, though, losing a title, entering the Rumble, and winning it. The other three, it's a very short list. Ronda Rousey winning, again, back-to-back years, and then going after Charlotte Flair, who quote-unquote stole the title from her on SmackDown. Becky Lynch, who has already been a recent winner. Problem with that is there are two babyface champions right now. And then my favorite and my ultimate prediction for the Women's Royal Rumble is Rhea Ripley, who is one of the most over women on the entire roster, the most over heel woman on the entire roster. And there are two babyface champions. And what we've seen from Ripley, even though she hasn't wrestled a lot, what we have, and they can do that in the next two months. She can wrestle plenty of matches and get over. That's fine. But what we have seen is her stare down men and take out men with numerous moves. So those are my list of potential winners. And on top of that, my expected winner, my prediction is Rhea Ripley taking the Women's Royal Rumble. I agree with all those possible winners. I may include Naomi as a possible winner if she makes a return as well. Um, So it'd be kind of six there. Uh, Outside of that, I don't see Raquel Rodriguez winning. I don't see Liv Morgan winning. Selena Vega. I think that's about it. My pick uh, as well, though, is also Rhea Ripley. I think we get Rhea Bianca at WrestleMania, a match that they've teased, a match you can do a lot of things with. And also, this isn't a situation where a heel wins the Rumble and people will be upset. People are going to be behind Rhea winning. This Absolutely. Thing. And they're going to and they're going to cheer when she wins. She may even get cheers against Bianca if that plays out that way. But she is she is doing the best work of her career without even wrestling. And you, you put Dominic by her side for some stuff in the future. Like there's so many different things you can do. Um, my, my pick is Rhea as well. I, to me, it's a clear, obvious great choice for basically every reason. There's no reason not to do it. So there's no reason not to do it. Well, well, I shouldn't say there's no reason not to do it. I have one reason not to do it. The one reason not to do it is if you have Beth Phoenix enter the match and basically do the booking that I gave for Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley, where Beth Phoenix enters the match as retribution, right? For what Rhea Ripley did to her by taking her out with the concerto and all that shit. Um, eliminates Ripley, eliminates herself, they get eliminated together, and then you get Rhea Ripley versus Beth Phoenix in a huge non-title legend versus current superstar match at WrestleMania. That's a big women's match on a major show. The other thing you can do is have Ripley win the Royal Rumble and then just do the match with Beth Phoenix at Elimination Chamber on the road. Then she wins the Rumble, beats Beth Phoenix, so she's super over, she's beat a legend, and then she goes into WrestleMania and wins the title. Boom. Major star right there. And she's already a big star. So that's the one booking that I would accept with Ripley not winning the Rumble if they do the Beth Phoenix angle. But it really feels like they got to strike while the iron is hot and go with Ripley. Yep. that This is the time to do it. Just it'll work. It'll completely work. So we'll see. All right. So let's go. We're going to first talk about the undisputed WWE Universal Championship match. Roman Reigns defending against Kevin Owens. In addition to talking about that match, uh, we're going to break down some of the potential storylines going forward with Sami Zayn and the bloodline, what we think is going to happen, whether it's singles, tag team, whatever the case. And then after that, we will wrap up the show 
with our breakdown of the men's Royal Rumble and the potential winners there. So Chris, look, let's just get the easy part out of the way. When it comes to the title match, do we both agree that Roman Reigns is retaining over Kevin Owens one way or another? I do, yes. Okay, so there's the prediction. Roman Reigns retains the title. With that being the case, let's go ahead and book what happens in this storyline at the Rumble, and then we can go through a ton of like maybe WrestleMania booking options before we cover the Rumble match, as I said. The first question really is, what is the test that Reigns is going to have laid out for Zayn? Is it to ensure his victory against Owens? If so, that's easy enough to accomplish. But what if it's to enter the Royal Rumble with the idea that Sammy would do so, win it, theoretically, and not challenge for the title? Or that Zayn successfully saves Reigns in the title match, only to be dissed and not really be acknowledged afterward, so he himself enters the Rumble and wins it just to spite Roman? It could be any of those. The simple booking, I think, may make the most sense because let's not forget, we still have the Elimination Chamber coming up and that is in Montreal. So it just feels to me like a bloodline breakup, when it happens, might be closer to that show and not on Saturday or the next Friday. Do you see Reigns' test going a different way for Sammy? I, my first thought when the, when he announced the test was basically you, you're going to have to help me cheat to win. I'm, you're going to have to do something to Kevin Owens during our match and and win. And then, or or, or the bloodline's going to be beat Kevin Owens and we're going to be beating him up. And then you're going to have to come in and hit him with a chair or something like that. And then that'll be your final test. That was my thought in terms of what the test could be. All right. So now to book it going forward. There's a lot of ways this can play out. Perhaps someone other than Sammy wins the Rumble, but it's decreed by Pierce that Reigns must defend the title separately on each night of WrestleMania. If they do that, Reigns could put Zayn in a spot where he demands him, instead of winning the Rumble, he demands him to win Elimination Chamber in Montreal, expecting him to lay down or relinquish the title shot, only for Sammy to remember how Roman's betrayed him. He finally gets fed up with it. Another option, though, Chris, is a Mania triple threat. That would just feel repetitive, I think, and create an out for Reigns losing the title without being pinned, which would be absolutely infuriating if that direction is taken. What do you think about those ideas? They're all possible. It's a bit... Sammy winning the Rumble, to me, feels a bit convoluted. Yeah. Um, It's not my pick, but again, I do think there's so many different things that could happen. I can't rule it out. All right, well, let's play this out, how it might go at this point, if everything occurs as we initially projected, okay? Uh, Reigns versus Rhodes, let's say, Sammy and KO versus the Usos. It may seem difficult to get there. I mentioned this earlier, given the love the Usos are showing for Sammy on Monday. But even getting there is still possible. All it would really take is for Reigns to regain his firm hold over his cousins and kind of force them to do the one thing that they just do not want to do, which is turn their backs on Sammy. It would be despicable enough that they would go back to being asshole heels instead of the lovable guys that have given Sammy, you know, a lot of attention and and appreciation. It just, to me, you know, going through this, and this is what we mentioned earlier, it doesn't feel as exciting as the alternative, which is what we talked about, 
Roman versus Sammy. Well, I, I mean, do you want to just do we want to just give our predictions on what we think happens? No, because I have one more scenario that I want to run by you, and we'll do that first. Okay, I, I, I mean, like I told you, I'm kind of mixed about Sammy Roman as the match at Mania. So, what, what's the other scenario? Well, let me. Well, okay, if you're mixed about that, let me give you that scenario then, and we'll wrap it up, and then we'll talk about the Royal Rumble, okay? Because could you imagine the booking if it is Roman and Sammy at WrestleMania, and they're fighting, and late in the match, it looks like Roman's going to lose, and the Usos run down. And we think they're coming out to save Reigns one more time, just as they always do. Instead, they actually turn on him and open the door for Sammy to take out their cousin as payback for all the gaslighting and the abuse that they have taken over the last two years. Because Sammy, let's not forget what happened on Raw and what Jay said. Sammy has shown them the love and family bond that Roman never has. Roman demands from them. Sammy reciprocates. And Jay noticed that. That's poetry. That's why it feels to me like, sure, the booking we've been discussing for six months with Cody and all that, it's still possible. But if you book something like that for Sammy, think about that. We talked about the plane landing, right? Mm-hmm. Think about the, the landing gear coming down. And that landing gear being the Usos to put Sammy over and take the tribal chief away from the head of the table. That's a it's a great way to land the plane. If, if that's how it ended, it, it, I completely that that is one of the many good ways you can can end it. So sure. that gets you to buy I think, in well, on Sammy. Yes, if it's the Usos helping him and look that if Roman's going to take a break after that perfect way to kind of write him off for a bit and and. and Go ahead. I think that's a very good angle ending. I think you're thinking a lot about the ending while I'm thinking about the next two months. Yes, and, and that's fair. And let's let's get to that. that yeah, no, you're right. Come out, I, I, come out of the rumble. I'm taking it. I, I'm taking it so far just because Chris like so the match is obvious. Like we know Reigns is going to retain the title. So there's only so much to talk about about the match. And I, I just got so excited right. by what we saw on SmackDown and Raw. So, so yeah. you got to find spots to so talk here, about here, this stuff. Here, here's my here's my thought about the end of the rumble and how it plays into elimination chamber. The test is Sammy does something to Kevin Owens to to cost Kevin Owens the match and Roman Reigns wins. And afterward, they 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 beat down Kevin Owens to a, a bloody pulp. And okay. in the ensuing week, somehow we get a Roman Kevin Owens rematch again at elimination chamber because Sammy cost him the match. Plays out similarly. Roman wins with the help of the Usos. They're beating down Kevin Owens again in Montreal. And Sami Zayn, like Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi, says, no, this is too much. And he turns and he, and he comes to help Kevin Owens or something like that. You give the big crowd reaction. From He's had the enough. Crowd in, Montreal. And in Montreal, he, he gets his guys back. He, yes. he, yeah, he saves Kevin Owens. And that's how you go off the air. And then you go into WrestleMania with the tag match and Cody winning the Rumble, Cody Roman. And then in the in WrestleMania, Sammy does something, pops up again, and helps Cody win to to defeat Roman. So that's, I think, that's my that's the way I play it out. I definitely think that uh, Sammy could help Cody win and then get a pop for Cody. But then, what are you doing with Sammy and Ko? You're doing the tag team match with the Usos. You still got to make that work if you're doing that. Mm-hmm. I I think that booking is solid. But Chris, that's why I wanted Roman Reigns against Sheamus at the Royal Rumble 
And then I figured mm-hmm. we'd get Roman Reigns against Kevin Owens at Elimination Chamber to do exactly what you're talking about. Right. That's the thing. That's where it's, you got to piece these many things together. We've still got three months, two like, months. You've got to know forget you in Montreal. How do we piece it all together? Let's not forget. This is the fourth time that Kevin Owens is challenging for the yep. under, uh, universal title. I think it was. And obviously all those other times it was just the universal title. This is the fourth time he's challenging Roman Reigns for a world title. It would be a fifth if they do it again at Elimination Chamber. There's also something that they can do by putting them all in the Elimination Chamber match one way or another. You know, uh, Roman and the Usos with Sammy and Owens all in the match. I mean, that's that gets really convoluted if you do it that way. But I like that booking idea. That is how theoretically it could go with Sammy still getting a moment over Reigns, Reigns retaining the title anyway, KO and Sammy reconnecting, and then being able to go after the Usos for the tag team titles. That 1000% works. In fact, I kind of want to say that's something that we discussed on the show four months ago or something like that. But that's when we thought Sheamus was going to be the opponent for the Royal Rumble. Right. Which it's still surprising that he's not, I say. Okay, with that, you mentioned it. Let's talk about the Royal Rumble itself. Um, Before we get there, here's what happened on Raw. We got a fourth Cody Rhodes vignette, the basis being that he needs to get in the ring to breathe again. As I've said for a month now, Chris, I don't at all like how this return has been handled. The crowd may pop massively for him on Saturday. But ruining the surprise for video packages that were pretty good was a bad decision. And for me as a viewer, it just has me anticipating the match less because I know he's in it as opposed to being surprised when he does show up, even if I expected it coming in. And when you add on what we've already discussed about Sami Zayn and how hot that has been built over the last four days, it just feels to me like the momentum has completely shifted away from Cody. I don't disagree because we haven't had actual Cody. We've only gotten video packages and video packages are not going to get somebody over. That said, I think the second he comes out, it's going to feel like a huge moment and like every, it's going to feel like everything in the rumble changed. And frankly, to your point about ruining the surprise, I think we're going to be, they're going to have to have some good stuff before Cody Rhodes shows up in the match. Cause we're all just going to be waiting is this Cody? Is this Cody? Okay, right. Cody's here. Now we can like really see what's going on. So I think yeah. that's something they'll have to book around. I agree. I think Cody actually needs to come out at like 12. Like he should not be 30, 28, 29, any of those. No, he should be even earlier. Yeah, he should be the five. first third to the first half of the match. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. Because okay. you because you built everything around him in the match. So we're just we're gonna be waiting for that. So like we did with the women, let's go over the possible winners. I think there's only three, legitimately. The three possible, unless The Rock shows up or Stone Cold Steve Austin, which is a rumor now, all that type of stuff. Based on people who we think are going to be in the match, um, I see three legitimate possible winners. Those are Cody Rhodes, obviously, Sami Zayn, obviously, and Seth Rollins in the third spot, who has mentioned numerous times wanting to go after Roman Reigns and take the titles. But to me, that is the entire list. I don't think there's anyone WWE is hiring and bringing in that would make a lot of sense. I don't see any legends coming back again, unless it's possibly The Rock, which is very Mm. possible that the whole uh, deal with like reports recently that that's not going to happen. It could just be a swerve for the dirt sheets to get him on the show. Steve Austin, the reports that are recently coming out about him getting offered money to fight Roman Reigns at a match somewhere sometime. That could be a swerve as well. 
uh, or maybe it's not, I don't know. But whether it's The Rock, whether it's Austin, if they do show up and win, I've always maintained they would be night one and someone else would actually win the title on night two, whatever. In terms of people that I actually think are going to win this match, it's those three. And that's my list. Cody, Seth, Sammy. Yeah, my list coming in was Cody, Seth, I'm sorry, Cody, Sammy, Rock. Uh, I think Seth makes sense as well. You could have him and Cody do a thing. They could tie or something. I don't know if that's possible. So, so yeah, among those, I think those four, I think are the only realistic possibilities. Yeah, I agree. And my prediction, look, I, I got, I, what, what have we talked about all show? Sammy Zayn, right? It makes so much sense. Sammy Zayn to be the one to fight Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. There's a way, there's many ways that can happen still. But I'm not going to predict him to win the Royal Rumble because I want to be right. And what I feel like is the most obvious by a mile booking is Cody Rhodes returning, winning the Royal Rumble. And whether it's in the only title match at WrestleMania or in one of two title matches at WrestleMania, fighting Roman Reigns. I'm no longer as excited for that to be the possibility. I don't think it would be the right decision. And as I said numerous times earlier in the show, uh, Rhodes returning with two months of build for Roman Reigns pales in comparison to Sammy winning and having a full year-long build, which is what it would have been, to eventually fight and potentially take down Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. So, so you're picking, picking Cody. Sam- but that's oh, you're it. picking Cody. Okay. No, no, I'm picking Cody. You're picking, you're picking Cody, but not Sammy. Okay. I, it's not my. It's not what I would do if I had the book. I just feel like that's what's set up to happen. So you think, I think we both agree the the Royal Rumble match will be the main event of the show. So you're thinking, yes, you're thinking Roman's going to be like, Sammy, you got to go in and, and win the, the Rumble. He maybe makes it to the final, whatever. And then gets, gets eliminated. eliminated yes. Like that. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. I, I, I think. Um, and then he's a failure and he gets excommunicated and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think that's honestly, I mean, my pick is Cody as well. They've just, they've built this up. You know, they've done the vignettes. I do think, look, he hasn't fit in the story, but because he has been gone, I think on the Monday after the Rumble, when we get Cody and, if we get Cody and Roman face-to-face for the first time, that's going to be like, ooh, I'm I'm into this now. Like, like we haven't seen it yet. And so I think right. it, it's going to feel like things go to another level when we see Cody Roman face-to-face at some point. And Cody, maybe he's up against the whole bloodline and Sammy's there and Cody says something about, hey, Sammy, what are you doing with those guys? You know, wh- whatever. Like, I, I I do think, I make, if, if that happens, I, I'm still excited to see how Cody fits into the Roman stuff. I completely, I completely feel that they can make this work and make this work in a big way. Cody's very good at the big moments. He's all about the big moments. Mm-hmm. And that that's what this is going to be. Pick is Cody uh, as well. Did we want to make any calls on any big surprises? Well, I mean, yeah, go the for women. it if you want. Um, I, I, there's 15 men announced, you know, compared to a smaller number of women. And yeah, it just doesn't honestly, seem like there's a lot of people is, that can. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Honestly, 15 doesn't feel like a lot compared to before. I mean, we didn't even get we didn't even get raw going off the air with everybody being thrown out of the ring. Like, I know. <laughs> you know Isn't that refreshing? Old, well, you old, know, that's going to happen Saturday, though. I mean, uh, yeah, Friday I, on SmackDown. It's it, gonna happen it, it could happen on yeah. it, it could happen on Friday as well. So in terms of returns, I think we'll get Pat McAfee in the rubble. OK, I think yes. He makes his, I think, I think he makes Definitely. his WWE return there. Um, uh, 
do we do we get a Lesnar Bobby situation potentially? Look, they Logan know Paul? that they can. I, I, Logan Paul potentially, Shane McMahon recovered? potentially. Yeah. See the Shane McMahon. Job. I want to go back to that. So in case we have any listeners here who aren't normal listeners of the show, I want to give my Shane McMahon booking. Because uh, everyone uh, who has listened already heard this. I'll make it very, very brief. Um, but obviously last year, Shane McMahon was like the pariah for this entire Royal Rumble. He was in the he match. He was, he was in the match way too long. Apparently he booked it. He was in the final four. He was terrible while he was in there. Um, he got run out of WWE by Vince McMahon after the match. Everything was wrong. I would love it. Truly, I would love it. If Shane McMahon came out at whatever number and like, like let's say eight. And he comes out at eight and he gets in the ring and he does his shit and he, he's jumping around and whatever the seconds tick by. And then at number nine, Bobby Lashley or Brock Lesnar comes in and just walks into the ring, takes him by the collar, throws him out of the ring. I think they would get yes. a massive pop and it would be a great Agreed. way, tongue in cheek, like meta to like allude to what happened last year and then pay it off with Shane just getting his ass kicked. I would love that. Yep, agree. Look, Shane, Shane will always get a huge pop if he gets it. And I think, you know, Father, son, mend the relationship. I, I don't know. I think that'd be cool as well. I think there's a lot. They know last year's Rumble sucked. So I think there's going to be a concerted effort to make this one particularly good. They, you know, 2020 was one of the best ever, maybe the best ever. Had some highs and lows here. I think there's. I think this is going to be maximum effort on this being a, a good Rumble. You're right. The uh, disparity between like 2020 and 2022 was just so drastic in terms of Royal Rumble quality. Was it 2020 that was great or 2021? 2020, that was right before COVID. That's when McIntyre won, oh, eliminated yeah, that, Rock, that eliminated was incredible. Roman to win it. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah, you're right. So the 2020 Royal Rumble, like you said, it was incredible. 2022, you could make a legitimate argument, was the worst Royal Rumble match of all time. And you're right. It is incumbent upon WWE to wipe that from our memory by delivering as good of a men's Royal Rumble match as they possibly can. The Women's Royal Rumble is important as well, but last year's Women's Royal Rumble, it wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible by any means. The men's one was legitimately awful. So they can, you know, do their best to wipe that from our memory. It was, by the way, it got the meaty for worst match of the year. Let's not forget. Um, So they can wipe that to some degree from our memory by putting on a really good match, having a winner that makes a lot of sense, and just by putting on a quality show from top to bottom for a really important time for WWE, obviously, as the road to WrestleMania 39 begins. One other thing, Chris, on the Royal Rumble match itself before we just move on. I'm just wondering whether anyone but Sammy winning will be met with disdain from the crowd because we've seen it really twice. Uh, Once, don't forget, Rey Mysterio got booed, which Rey Mysterio never gets booed, entering at number 30 one year because Daniel Bryan was not in the match. We've also seen Roman Reigns with The Rock by his side, get booed because Daniel Bryan, another year, didn't win the Rumble. Now, in both of those cases, the winners were not wanted. Batista and Reigns, respectively. Here, if it's Cody or Rollins instead of Sammy, I have to believe there's still going to be babyface cheers because fans would like and want both of those guys to win. But I could definitely see resentment during the match if Sammy is either not in it or if he gets in it and is eliminated early as Brian did years ago. WWE also needs to be careful because of what we talked about earlier. What if Sammy does last long and then gets eliminated by Cody? Are they going to boo 
And then Cody's either a heel or he's getting booed when he's supposed to be a face. They got to be really, really careful with the Sami Zayn element. Either he wins this match or maybe he's in it early and gets eliminated or maybe you just keep him out of it entirely. Because if it's not Sami winning, it could really fuck up their plans if it's Cody or if it's Rollins or even if it's someone else. Yeah, that you absolutely cannot have that happen. If you're going to have Cody win, you can't have there can't be enough of a hope spot for Sammy. So <clears throat> I don't know if that means he gets kicked out of the building before the match. And so you like know he's not going to be in it. You don't have to think about it or or what. Um, and I'm. And it's kind of why I think maybe they, he wins they have like to, Triple H. They have Triple to, H is yeah. so smart from a booking standpoint. He knows right. he was there. He knows what happened with Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan. He knows what happened with Batista and Roman Reigns. He's seen it. He was there the entire time. And he sees how over Sami Zayn is. So how do you do the match and not have him win? That's that's what we got to figure out what this test is. is if the that's test crazy. Is Sammy, I, I mean, or, or Sami gets eliminated by um, Seth or, or, or he like slips and falls and, and accidentally eliminates himself. I... I don't know, but it is, I do think, I don't think people are going to boo Cody. I think generally people will be excited to see him. They'll be excited to see him. Win. If he eliminates but, Sammy as but the if last he has, two no, in the not ring, they will boo Sammy. Cody. Yeah. Yes. No, he, you cannot have Cody be the one to eliminate Sammy. That cannot happen. Um, maybe there's, maybe, maybe there's maybe, a situation where like, it's maybe Solo does left. it. Maybe Solo, maybe Solo Sokoa does it. Oh, like I, I, don't, I don't know. Okay. I like that. Like he just gets pissed off at him and eliminates him or something like that. Like that could, and then you or just, it's a you circumstance where like it's accidental, where like right. Cody and Sammy are both trying to eliminate a heel, and Sammy goes out with the momentum. Like there's different ways where it can happen. Solo coming in and eliminating Sammy, pretty good. Sammy yeah. starts at like that- seven. Solo comes in at like twenty-one. Pretty good. Well. No, I don't want to, I, I, I don't think you can make the story Sammy trying to win. Because if you do, then it's not going to feel right when Cody wins. No, but, so, I, no but, but Sammy's in the match to like take care of as many people as he can. And then Solo comes in later to clean up. Don't forget, like, yeah. don't forget what happened on, on SmackDown on Friday or, or two weeks ago. Sammy didn't know the plan, right? He was in mm-hmm. the match with Kevin Owens doing what he thought Roman Reigns wanted him to do, which was beat Kevin Owens. What he really wanted him to do was soften him up to the point where the bloodline could attack him and destroy him. So it could be very similar here where he thinks Roman Reigns wants him in the Royal Rumble to win the Royal Rumble. Instead, he's there to soften up the competition early with Solo Sokoa coming in later to kind of take care of business and wrap everything up at the end. And the the idea being that Solo Sokoa is going to be the one to lay down and allow Roman Reigns to not have a challenger for the title. But instead... Cody eliminates Solo at the end. So you have Solo eliminating Sammy, which is pissing him off against the bloodline. And then you have Cody eliminating Solo, which gets a babyface pop because everyone's angry at Solo for eliminating Sammy. That is exactly and, how they could book it. And ties Cody into the bloodline right away. And that, yeah. and potentially is a scenario where like Cody, Sammy, and KO all team up against Roman and the Usos at Elimination Chamber. Then you have a match where the baby faces can win and get a huge reaction. That leads to the Usos against Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. That could definitely work. Again, lots of possibilities here. This is I am lots so excited for this match for this show 
yeah. because of the great storytelling that they've been giving us over the last couple months and a lot of different things. We're going to have surprises. We're going to have Cody Rhodes back. We're going to have a Kevin Owens title match. We can get into our, I guess, a uh, pre pre-show ratings here, but as you can tell, let's do it. Let's do it I'm right now. Darn, show's been going long. Darn excited. Yeah. You know, let, let's, I'm gonna, let's do it. Let's, let's have you go first. Uh, we're going to give right now our pre-show expectation grades for the Royal Rumble. We do this as on a letter scale, of course. Uh, you and I are going to give them right now. The listeners, the getting overheads, you will have an opportunity to give your pre-show expectation grades by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast and voting in the poll before the Royal Rumble begins. And then on our instant analysis podcast, Saturday night, as soon as the Royal Rumble goes off the air, we will share our grades again and your grades. We'll see how they'll line up and we'll do the exact same thing with our final post-show grades. Chris and I will give ours and you, the listeners, are getting overheads. We'll be able to vote for your post-show grades on Twitter at Getting Overcast. With that, Chris, what is your pre-show expectation grade for the 2023 WWE Royal Rumble? I really want to say A. I think the <laughs> I, th- I think the only I think the only one I've given a pre-show pre-mat a pre-show grade A to was WrestleMania this last year. Did we give it a flat because a? WrestleMania? I might have because I was I I might have because but I said because I'm going like I right. like there was a natural right. like feeling I was going to be there so I'm just I'm feeling an A this is in San Antonio I was considering going ultimately not because I got some things I got to handle around how here. far is that drive from you five hours I um, I look I love wrestling I wouldn't drive five hours I don't think for this I've, I've, just, I've never been to a, I've never been. Royal they Rumble. did the Rumble in San Antonio 2017. Yeah. I almost went to that. I've never been to a Rumble. It's not going to come to Dallas. It would go to San Antonio. So I, I'm not doing it this year. I do want to go to one at some point. I'm right on that A minus A range. It could absolutely be an A. I'm, but I'm. I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to say no. I'm going to say A. I'm saying A. We're going A. Okay, that's fair. So for me, there's just so much unknown here. That's my biggest problem. Um. You know, there's so much that can happen that could downgrade it. And and I have a lot of belief in Triple H and Trips has the book and we love it and it's great. Bliss could win the Raw Women's title. Someone, Ronda Rousey could win the Royal Rumble again and fight Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania. Like, I, I think that's a legitimate possibility. The pitch black match, I have no idea what that's going to be from a stipulation standpoint. We have no idea what Bray Wyatt's going to look like in the ring. How many times have we talked about, you know, Fiend stuff being disappointing if they go back to that? The Sami Zayn situation, Cody winning the Royal Rumble and them not handling that right with Sami Zayn getting booed. I think the matches are going to be really high quality. Um, I have an anticipation that I want to give Triple H the benefit of the doubt with all of this because of what we've been getting so much on television. That I'm going to go higher than I normally would given this card. Normally with this card, I'd give it a B plus. I'm going to say A minus. I think it really has the chance and probably should wind up in the A range. But for a pay-per-view or premium live event to get an A or an A plus as an expectation, the card has to be absolutely loaded. I do believe there's a chance that WrestleMania this year, with Trips having the book, if he continues to have the book unabated, it may be a A, pre-show expectation grade. But I can't go there yet for the Royal Rumble based on what has happened and based on my concerns going into it. But I am going to be optimistic. I am going to be A minus. And it's very rare that you and I give anything but a B plus, really, but a B or a B plus, B minus uh, as a pre-show expectation grade for us to both be this enthusiastic and this optimistic going in. It really is a rarity. It is. 
but look, it's the as we as we open the show, it's the Rumble. The Rumble is always the most anticipated event of the year. Uh, we've got a, a title match that something uh, uh, could happen at the end of it. There's a lot of storylines going on. There's so many things that could happen. It makes me a lot more excited. There there are a number of ways they could mess it up, but there are a number of ways they could get it right, and that's exciting. And I and I and I, I trust Triple H to get it right. I do too. He has earned that trust for the most part since getting the book. And we're going to see if our trust, uh, if he's worthy of our trust this coming Saturday after the 2023 WWE Royal Rumble. Now we're going to wrap up today's show, but I don't want you all to sign off just yet. Couple, We got a bunch of notes here that you need to hear before we get out. First, as I mentioned, you got to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all that good stuff. But again, you can vote in our pre and post show polls on Twitter. And you can join us for our Twitter Spaces Live 2023 WWE Royal Rumble pre-show on Saturday before the Royal Rumble begins. Got to follow us on Twitter for that, at Getting Overcast. Also, of course, do not forget the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. It's all about the five. So leave the five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And on Apple, leave that five-star review, written review. We would greatly appreciate it, especially because, look, we just gave you one of the longest shows in Getting Over Wrestling Podcast history, this Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview. But I also want to tell you about our schedule going forward, just as a bit of a reminder, what's coming up over the next week. We will be back on Thursday with our next AEW and NXT show. On Saturday night, as soon as the 2023 Royal Rumble goes off the air, we will have on this podcast feed our signature Royal Rumble Instant Analysis Podcast. You do not want to miss that. And then one week from now, same bat time, same bat channel on Tuesday will be our Royal Rumble Fallout episode. We're going to talk about everything that happened on WWE Raw. It will also be episode number 400 of Getting Over. We have new equipment, an updated soundboard, and we just want to celebrate our 400th episode anniversary, so we do not want you to miss that. As I said, a ton coming up over the next week right here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast as the road to WrestleMania gets underway. I appreciate all of you for listening to this show. Thanks once again to Vintage Chris Vaney for joining me. For Chris, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.